Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Cool Zone Media. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. All right. This is the official It Could Happen Here predictions episode. And to start off here, Gare has some of our wins and some of our losses from last year's. That's right. I took a peek back at our predictions of the past to see how correct we are. We got all of them right. Great job, folks. Let's continue on. No, I, I, I will say... Obviously, the big dub for the year goes to Sophie, who said that Kissinger would die. Yeah, you got that one. I didn't okay, said work. that. God, I don't. Shit. Thank you for yeah. reminding me that I'm a genius. <laughs> wow. We all said no. There's no chance. He's too psychically powerful. But you maintained, and it turns out all we needed was a little hope. That's all oh, we needed. Wow. I really should use these powers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, know. So, I, who are you going to take out next? Yeah, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Ooh, your prediction might. Ha- I'll, 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 th- I'll throw yeah, in yeah. a death prediction for us, just for funsies. <laughs> we once had a um, side note. We once had back in the beginning times when we actually went to an office. God, 
at at I at I Heart, we once had a prediction of when uh, George H <laughs> H W Bush was gonna die, and uh, I was also right. So oh, okay. Well, yeah. Sophie, now you you have to be very careful which ones you, you guess and when. Very careful. Yeah, I've been we watching. Got it hard. I've been this watching is... the show You, which is primarily oh about how being a serial no, killer is a great <sighs> idea. Uh, it, and I I feel I is, feel why like is Robert watching like white woman media? What is she, but, so that, that I, so that I can protect mm. myself in case Sophie is secretly murdering people, oh which Sophie would never I just watch fe- you. two in a row, two in a row. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> if I was, it would be in your honor. So, so let's talk about two things Robert got wrong. Um, <laughs> Robert, <laughs> Robert said that there was a decent chance, which I think there was, but it just didn't happen, that uh, Nick Fuentes and Kanye West would die together in, under some mysterious circumstances. <laughs> I, hey, okay. I still Sophie, feel like that's do not a Do us all a favor, Sophie. <laughs> I, 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 think we, I still think we got a shot. I, honestly, I think so too, but it didn't happen last year. The other thing Robert predicted is that there would be a ska total supremacy. That obviously didn't oh, happen. No, that's, that oh. that happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> that happened. Did you miss me informing Cody Johnston about the Mighty Mighty Boston's George Floyd album this year? <laughs> no, because I did, oh, and it was you amazing. Are, you unfortunately uh, did, and if you haven't right. listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst things that's ever happened to humankind. Yes, Garrison, please continue. <laughs> it's fucking... Mia predicted that there would be kind of a new sort of like DeSantis-style Republican challenger approaching... I think uh, Vivek Ramaswamy perfectly fits the sort of thing that Mia was talking about. This is the kind of new figure that enters politics. But he also kind of gives Andrew Yang in a way as well. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the fascist Andrew Yang. He's fascist Andrew Yang <laughs> and he's insufferable. He's in fucking insufferable. Yeah, yeah. Massive. So fucking insufferable. Mia also predicted that Mike Pence would try to run for president. Hey! Uh, the, rest of us dis- the rest of us disagreed, and <laughs> Mia was Mia was proved yeah, correct. Look at her. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's give her, was easy, let's give her 50% on that. I don't know how much we'd say he really ran for president. <laughs> he, I mean, he, <laughs> sure, sure, he jogged sure. at most. He sure. jogged at most, and um, <laughs> then he realized the only person that would vote for him was uh, Mother. And then he was like, Ooh. I don't think she would. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she'll say she will, but she, she's gonna she's gonna pull the lever for Trump at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all hey. are. Let's talk about some deaths. Uh, uh, Mia said that Noam Chomsky would die. Shireen said Joe Biden would die. I think, although they didn't physically die, Damn, Shireen. <laughs> the yeah. last vestige of their like yeah, respectability did, did canceled. That basically counts, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> they basically they torpedoed all the. <laughs> the last bit of like uh, uh, respect yeah. they had for mm-hmm. for for people who would typically be aligned uh, with them, roughly. Biden has just been—he's looked like he's on death death's door for forever. It's—I I similarly um, thought that Steven Crowder was going to die, and instead he just he just kind of metaphorically died yeah. in, in, because he <laughs> made a, yeah. some a, a series of horrible business decisions, mm-hmm. and now is ostracized from much of the online right. So that's cool. Um, now the one that Sophie's upset about is that she she wanted crypto.com to lose the name of the mm, arena in, instead there. instead the Miami instead the Miami Heat Arena is no longer called the FTX Arena I mean but I'm happy about that as well Crypto.com is still holding strong so yeah. so there we go it, and I think and I take I, that very personally and it is Staples Center thank you so much now I, I will say that's uh, I feel like I'm gonna roll that prediction into next year. 
something. Yeah. Let's give it a roll. Let's roll that now, over. I'm going to roll my good. Biden death prediction as well. That's, that's <laughs> James, thanks, James, James said that there'd be more immigration bullshit, which obviously happened, as James has been covering that most of this last year. Also, James said that Twitter would die, which is true, because wow. it's no longer Twitter. It's no yeah. longer Twitter. It's just like It's just like how Henry Kissinger changed his name. So true. Yeah. No, I will say the most impressive kind of niche prediction is the last one came from Shireen. Oh. Shireen said that there would be the return of the flip phone. And searches for flip phones were up 15,000% last year among Jung Z and millennials. And foldable phones sold uh, uh, 44% more uh, compared to 2022. So 2023 really really was the return of the flip phone. So there we go. I think it's going to continue because of what's happening it, it in the will. Congo and all the, the tension that's going on over there. I think we're going to continue seeing a switch away from iPhones. So that's that's proof of why we are all completely trustworthy and never and wrong. Garrison, oh. what, and what, what were you wrong about, Garrison? Oh, yeah. You really skipped uh, over your bit. Yeah, really, you, yeah, really, you really skipped over your wow. bit, Garrison. Oh, oh wow. I, I thought yeah. that Harry Styles... Would, would there be some damning <laughs> information that come out, and he would just plummet? Unfortunately, that didn't happen. The styles is still is still hanging in there. So still you styling. Know, here's to hoping. Hey, so Sophie's favorite musician. Uh not my mm-hmm. favorite musician, but uh, puts on a good show. All right, all right. Predictions for this next year. Oh wait, hold on. Hold on. I, I I need to take one. I need to take one other L. Which is that I, I significantly overestimated my countrymen, and I thought that, yes. th- that we'd see yes. another wave of revolts from people dying from COVID in China, and we didn't. Uh, I don't know. My, my countrymen suck ass like everyone else. Well, yeah, that's because, uh, that's because COVID's not real. Robert, we all agree about that. All right, that. well, let's, uh, let's, let's blaze past that one. And, <laughs> and, and when, we get back, when we get back from this, uh, this break, we're going we're gonna to start going through some predictions. And we are back. Yeah, so that's why I just don't really think the vaccines were. It, what, so, oh, sorry, 2024 <laughs> is an election year, obviously. So, there will be some election related predictions. Let's do. I, I don't want to immediately just go to like who's gonna win. Let's I think, do some let's, VP picks. Yeah, let's let's do some VP mm-hmm. picks because this is this is gonna be a Joe Biden versus Trump race, right? Like, unless one of them drops dead before November. Here's hoping. Here's Ideally, murder-suicide. That's, that's oh, my hope. That's my goodness. hope for them. For once, I don't disagree with Robert. But <laughs> do we think that Kamala Harris is gonna is gonna is gonna stick in yes. uh, the the Democrat VP spot? Yes. God, I think I, so. I, it's hard to, to imagine she wouldn't. She's a dog shit candidate. Like, yeah, their best, the best person I think they could run is Whitmer. Like, if I'm if I'm like wargaming the Democratic Party trying to give him the best shot, it's throwing Whitmer in. But as but president. Joe Biden would Le- have at to least learn some, as VP. Oh, I was gonna make a really fucked up joke. It's gonna he's gonna stick he's gonna stick with Kamala for sure. Yes. Yeah, which there's is unfortunate like, because there's be- definitely better. There's like definitely no, I wouldn't say better. There's definitely like more strategic. People that, but I mean, in, if we were going by strategy, we wouldn't. Uh, the Democrat, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah here Demo- we are anyway. Demo- yeah, they wouldn't. It wouldn't be yeah. Biden Trump again if we were mm-hmm. going by what's best for the country. <laughs> sure. Um, as for Trump, 
Last year, I said that I think Herschel Walker could be a potential uh, VP mm-hmm. pick, which I think is still true, but oh, not no as way. not as much as it yeah, used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump, now, Trump would become the third organization to become completely screwed by picking Herschel Walker. Like three yeah, see, consecutive yeah. organizations yeah. have bet everything on Herschel Walker and lost. There's that's no the way. biggest thing is that is that Trump doesn't like losers, and Herschel Walker's kind of only ever lost. Now, obviously, we've talked about this before. Vivek Ramaswamy uh, is maybe a potential, but he could be too loud for Trump. Yeah. He could kind of Trump steal, d- too, much, steal want, too much of yeah, the spotlight. Trump doesn't want and to he's, share, he's not he popular. Want to share the attention. Okay, does each person want to... Yeah, do you, does each person want to go around? The, let's go yeah. around the horn. So, so Garrison, who is your pick? Uh, I mean, I was mostly tossing between Vivek and... Uh, Herschel Walker, but I, I, it's I'm not confident in either of those. But uh, there's there's no other names that really come to mind because most of the other people on the debate stage either were too hostile to Trump or just didn't seem like people Trump would really get behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I think Bobby Kennedy. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I I think he could actually do it. I think okay. Admittedly, admittedly, my biggest reason for thinking this is not actual political analysis is that we live in the dumbest of all possible worlds. <laughs> it, it and the dumbest of all possible thing. worlds is Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. That is that that is true. This is this is the dumbest timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe Nikki Haley if he can overcome yeah. his like. I was thinking misogyny. Nikki Haley just purely yeah. on like. Yeah, but women. Haley Haley's been kind of not like attacking Trump fully, but. She has not been super pro Trump on the stage. I think she may have alienated him too much. I, 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 I was also thinking, like, you know, who's like a a more like docile woman that Trump would yeah. want to run beside? But yeah, but Nikki based... Haley has has the reach that that sure, I, does. Sure. Yeah. I think she'd it's be the smart him. Pick, and like everyone is against but... every candidate until they're picked for fucking VP. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think that there's there's. Several different um, people that he he could pick. He could pick uh, Carrie Lake. He could pick Sarah Huckabee Sanders. He could pick oh man, what is that governor's name? Christy Nome. Yes, I th- thank you, thank you. He could pick Christy Nome. You're welcome. But like, there's I, if he's gonna go woman, he's gonna go. I think one of those three because I think he's already bad mouth. He's already bad mouth Nikki Haley enough. But uh, I think I think what's what people are forgetting is he might just pick somebody that he knows won't turn on him. He might sure. just pick his fucking daughter. Like I was gonna, gonna say, I was gonna mm-hmm. say actually, yeah. his, his. I mean, he might, he might, he might pick Jared Kushner. Yeah, uh, the the Kush bomb. Yeah, yeah. Let's get that Kushner in there. That's, that's the fucking election <laughs> I want. Robert, do you have a pick? I mean, I suspect. He's that that Biden and uh, fucking Harris are going to run. Although, you know, again, if I'm talking about who I think actually would be the smart pick for the Dems, it's Whitmer and or Andy Bashir, who's sure. the Dem- Democratic governor of um, uh, Kentucky, super popular, like really good at talking to kind of working class voters um, is, has been successful in a red state. I, it's it, we're in this weird situation where almost anyone kind of besides Kamala Harris who were to run against Trump would win easily. And if Trump were to be replaced by like Nikki Haley, she would just absolutely pants Biden. This is what this is what 
all of the data shows at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we're in this really odd moment of like, we, we have, <laughs> it it's like, it's the opposite of the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. <laughs> it's like the, the very mobile object meeting the very light force. Yeah. It's, they're both just sort of sliding around the room. Yeah. Um, Coughing. Coughing baby versus coughing baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's two babies with tuberculosis in a steel cage while Joe Rogan narrates the fight, which I would watch. What a country. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know who the fuck Trump is going to pick. Uh, yeah, probably probably his daughter Jay Kush. <laughs> he might. You know, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be wildly shocked if he were to go with. Um, Oh Christ! What's her name? She ran as a Democrat last time, but but uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi. I did think I, about that too. She's fucking I mental now. I. W- she's. She. She's been out she's, of her mind I for think a while. She's too I wouldn't irrelevant. be shocked. I think she's that. Like, that's. She's but, a regular Fox News contributor. Mm-hmm, yeah, I yeah. don't think he doesn't want someone who is like. Yeah, I but think he hates Fox News now. The the yeah. unpopularity yeah, yeah, until they need him. He needs him. unpopular enough that I think Trump might see him as a loser. Tulsi's not a loser. She's also not a threat yeah. to him yeah. being yeah. in the spotlight. Yeah. And he he might decide to roll those bones. Yeah, I did think about that. All right. Um, do we do we want to switch over to another category gear? Sure. Um Does anybody have a general prediction that they would like to share? Sure. I think a Daily Wire host is gonna <laughs> Have something f- funny happen to them. Any, any anything related to ba- based on how much like there, there's going to be a whole, probably a whole bunch of rallies happening in 2024 in the lead up to the election. I think there's going to be a lot more mm-hmm. on the ground stuff that, than there was in 2023. Um, I think animosity has only really risen these past three years, and I think that we could see the return of pieing as a as a as a widespread tactic. <laughs> God, God, from your mouth Inshallah. to God's ears, yeah. Garrison. So <laughs> you can, you can, you can put that one together. <laughs> All right, I'll go. My prediction uh, is is a two part, and it falls under uh, the uh, Kimye. Oh, my my wow. my first my first prediction is uh, that Kanye people are going to forget. People are going to forget. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to. Uh, put out a new album uh, and people because he's already started to like do the thing that Kanye does uh, yep. where he plays plays an album at a random club and or plays a listening party event. And yeah, people are going to forget he's going to he's going to do that. Um, and then Kim has been hanging out with Ivanka a lot and she is almost oh, done with no. law school. And I think she is going to have some kind of a feeler into the field of <sighs> politics this year. Oh my god! What if she's VP? I did. I actually. I actually. <laughs> oh my god! That thought actually did go through <laughs> yeah. my brain, but I don't think she, I don't think she's there yet. I but mean, I wouldn't. We are not country. ready. We are not ready for a Trump Kardashian ticket. I'm but, sorry. But, but he would that, win. I, I am moving. I am moving back to Canada. That's simply not happening. <laughs> I would actually Full make my head reality yeah, TV right. ticket would be you know just uh-huh. so America of us. This is but, the worst but, country. Yeah. It's the worst there would be held back by uh, Then Trump would have to acknowledge the Armenian genocide yeah. and it would make relations with Turkey very difficult. And, it, that, and, that would. She would just lead the, into her white Kardashian vice like, presidency yeah. would be very good for Armenia. Yeah. <laughs> it would for the. Cur- it'd be amazing 
But like, but like, really Kim Kardashian about visiting it, the YPJ since since Trump's been out of office, Ivanka kind of went underground, and you know most people have not been seen with her. And in the last couple months, she has been photographed with Kim. Kim has posted her. They've been doing things together. They've been coordinating outfits. It's yeah, and uh, so I think we might see some kind of between the two of them there or Kim is going to start making her way into a political career of some kind. Yeah. Although I do think that th- 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 uh, not, you know, some of the work that she's done helping getting uh, innocent folks out, out of prison has been pretty dope. I will say. Yeah. That is my prediction. The Kim Ye. I hate this country. I think we probably will go back we just did this episode. Uh, spoiler, we're recording in 2023. I predict that by this time next year, we will probably go back to something approaching Title 42. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, which will be terrible, given that, like, as Robert said, kind of we're seeing increased conflict all over the world. People are coming here. They won't be able to. That will have massively destabilizing influence on Mexico, as it as it did last time, and impact on Mexico. Um I'm also really what my like concern prediction this year is violence against migrants in places where they're extremely vulnerable as we go through the election cycle, which will inevitably demonize them from both fucking parties. Uh, so like that's become a really big, especially with this stupid practice of busing people across the country and then dumping them onto the streets like that. That's my big concern for yeah. 2024. Mia? Uh, you know what? Fuck it. I can be wrong. All right. So my, this is my, this is my, my thing that I've been waiting for to happen. That's going to be one of the just most, one of the worst things that's going to happen. Eventually at some point, this is going to happen. We're going to get an attempt by the Republicans to seriously come after interracial marriage. And it is going to form the most insane political coalitions you have ever heard of in your entire life. It is going to be like this nightmare word coalition of just like the open white supremacists, the like Asian MRA people, a bunch of like, you're going to see a bunch of these completely deranged, like Korea, like nominal, like nominally left-wing Korean ethno-nationalist groups. I, uh, you're going to see like the, the like Andrew Tate people. I, uh, there's going to be this, it's going to have this, this just absolute nightmare coalition behind it. It probably won't work, but it is going to be, one of the worst things <laughs> and i don't know if i i i hope it doesn't happen next year but i think th- i think the election year someone could actually decide that this is going to be the time they're going to try to do it that that and- is the sort of shit that when i when i think about like what could upset the election in joe biden's favor it would yeah. be the republicans launching a crusade like that yeah. them like, going like too hard too fast yeah, yeah. Th- th- and, and, yeah. And, and on something that like everyone up until the moment it happens would assume was just not up for debate, right? Like, I don't know. It might happen if they let go after gay marriage, but everyone's kind of braced for that. If they were, yeah. To, if yeah. they were to launch a crusade against interracial <laughs> marriage. Yeah. That is the kind of thing that might, might just sink them. Everyone might just go, well, <laughs> I guess we have to vote for Biden again. Cause this is just out of its mind. I mean, w- one thing that Republicans have been talking more about, and I think it's maybe po- possible that there'll be one or two States that that actually moves on this um, is uh, is abolishing uh, no fault divorce. I think that is something that could happen in like one or two red states th- this year. 
I don't know how much that would actually impact national elections, but that is something I think the Republicans are starting to focus more on. Yeah. Specifically, like, a, like Republican media influencers, yeah, yes, largely yes, because yes. they all <laughs> have had their wives leave them. Yeah. <laughs> Shereni? Mm. Um, well, like, yeah, I, I do think that flip, fo- flip phones are going to continue being popular, especially <laughs> now. doubling down. No, I mean, I'm. first of all, I was right. Second of all, I have a couple of ones that I hope aren't true, but I think they will be. Uh, I have a feeling that, and I think there's going to be something similar to the Muslim ban, but in specific, like, about Palestine and Israel. I think that there's going to be something scary that targets an entire people that I don't want to be true, but it just feels like we're at, we're going up that route. So I feel like there's going to oh, be... I have- I have a thing about what that's going to be. I, I, yeah. I think I think what it's going to be, and this is something we've been seeing in Florida, there's going to be a, a giant push to ban Chinese citizens from owning property because this is this is already happening in Florida. Um, there's there's been this whole and like 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 Florida's right now in the process of doing this thing where they're trying to prevent people who spent like one year in uh in China from like being at universities. I I think it's going to be this giant like. They're, they're, they're going to do one of these like Chinese people can't own property things. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't know that. That's really unsettling. They're closer it's than you insane. would think to already doing a version of a Muslim ban not targeting Palestine, but other well, and and Trump has promised Muslim countries. That's one no, of I mean his... that's it, it, it happened yeah, before. Too. Like, why wouldn't it happen again? Yeah. It, it just feels really unsettling that it's that that's a possibility of it happening again. Well, and, and Trump has promised that if he wins again, we're he's moving straight to deportation of Muslims. Like yeah. I, I, I think we will like that. That he's he said that that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. I also think that there's going to be an uproar about a historical figure who was white being played by a black person. Like another another one of those. Yeah, yeah I mean Mermaid. that's that's like every week, Shireen. Oh, no, it's, uh, <laughs> what if I just want to be already, right, Garrison? It's already it's already starting, Shireen. You are correct because next year, what Denzel is going to be playing playing Hannibal Barca in a movie oh. about the second Punic War, which any person who is not out of their mind is like, that's inspired casting. Yeah, have they like, announced yeah. the he's, next He's James the best Bond? possible person no, they no, can no, have no. playing that guy, but it's yeah, going to piss off a bunch of people. Even though... Mia, Mia even listened though, to that James... You were the one who listened to that James Bond podcast, right? Kill James Bond. That's the name of the podcast. Yeah, okay. I just got to say this. Yeah. T-Girl James Bond, it would set the world on fire. It would be the funniest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do it. God. Unleash, yeah, yeah. At least the civil dogs war, of war. That, yeah, the civil war will begin because of trans James Bond. Mm, you heard yeah. it here first. Yeah. So true, so true. I mm-hmm. See, I'm, I, I take a different tact, which is that we should find the most Cajun man alive and finally give the people what they want, which is Cajun James Bond. I mean, that would also go hard. <laughs> like James Bond making a, like instead of, instead of a martini, shake and not stirred, he likes a nice etouffee. Like, come on, let's do it. Let's, let's be heroes. I, I, I know we wanted to close with the, with the, with the death segment. I think because of Kissinger, we, are, we already took so many dubs there that I, one thing that is on my mind is, I, I, there's surely there, it's possible there'll be more kind of protests, popular mobilizations, like this summer before the election, but I'm more interested in what's going to happen after the election because no matter who wins, which I I, I really don't have a strong feeling one way or, or another, there's potentials for, obviously, if Trump wins, I think there'll be 
massive. Uh, Another January sixth uh, type n- event. Oh, yeah. or well, well, no, no, no. If pussy hats are going to come back, if Trump no. wins, oh, if there Trump will wins. be. A, that's my prediction. There'll be like probably a, at least two strong weeks of intense rioting across the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll see more firm suppression than we did in 2020 in a lot of cases, which will be interesting because at this point Biden will still be technically in in charge, but everyone's going to treat it like it's a Trump problem. He just, On the other hand, he li- if just, Biden wins, are we going to get stop the steal too, or yes. will a second, or will or will a second defeat in a row? almost be more of like a death kneel for this sort of like mega mobilization like yeah. that, that i think that that's also a possibility that two two losses in a row could just di- could just like disillusion a whole bunch of people who otherwise kind of want to do a stop the still two but it, it may just it may just not happen we literally can we can't we can't let it's, uh, Trump no, pick I, more judges i'll tell you what'll happen uh, is because I, I I am aware of the predictive programming that the Obamas have been putting out through uh-huh, their new, uh-huh. new movie Leave the World yeah. Behind. Left, we're gonna yeah. have yeah. we're gonna have a military coup and they're gonna use the Havana Syndrome gun to oh knock God. us all uh, out. Yes. while they while they yeah. re you know fix fix politics one way or the other. Yeah, don't know which side That's is gonna right. do it, but somebody's gonna drop the Havana Syndrome gun. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's take a quick break and come back with our death predictions. How does that sound, everybody? And we're back. Robert, who's going to die? Who's going to die, Robert? Robert. Uh, you know what? My pick this year is everybody. I think this is the year we all get it. I think uh, <laughs> somebody's going to push push the button. And uh, finally, <laughs> finally, um, the world's atomic stockpile will bring us all sweet release. Okay. <laughs> my, my, my serious prediction, I think Putin will be assassinated. Oh, that'd be cool. Dude, I was going yeah, to say, I have based. a feeling that there's going to be some type of assassination that will, like rock the world but yeah I, decent yeah. chance Assad eats it still i think like especially uh, with I, god you know th- the only reason i wouldn't say th- that's like the guy i most want to see die mm-hmm. in the world and probably will one be until one, he does but like top set erdogan's up there but Assad, just nobody nobody else has that body count right now yeah. but no, no yeah. one can touch him that's the thing that baby's, really baby's that's, really that's the it. thing BB's going for it, but still, he's got to kill. I mean, like Assad's yeah, at six, seven hundred thousand, something people. like that. I, uh, I just don't know. He's he's a survivor, unfortunately. Like yeah. you have to, you do kind of have to acknowledge he's, that uh, about him. Like ophthalmologist vigor. He's pretty good at not getting killed so far. Yeah. Um, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like Putin hasn't really been tested this way yet, and I, I do kind of think. Yeah, I think that there's there's a a chance. I don't know that I think it's a high chance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think every day we get closer and closer to an Elon Musk overdose. Um, yeah. <laughs> when we yeah, overdose right, on Elon like... Musk and all and our own so, lives. So so true, James. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My prediction is that with the will of God, Morrissey will finally fucking die and rid us of his <laughs> annoying bullshit. Oh my uh, God. Because, uh, wow, did not, that, that is not what I was expecting. No, me either. Well, great. <laughs> Sir. Yeah. Inshallah, we will see the end of Morrissey this year, friends. Has everybody, um, has everybody gone? Cause is it my turn with my, with my power? Uh-huh. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. Right? Sophie, he going to off. Yeah. Say Morrissey. I really, th- I'm not saying Morrissey. I He's really, a prick. I, I really thought about this, and um, it's time. 
It's time, David Miscavige. It's fucking time. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. He said it. You heard mm-hmm. it here first. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. From the person who predicted Kissinger. Yeah. And someone else. She she picked someone else, right? Who else did you get, Sophie? I don't know. Who else did I get? I I I I don't have anything. You else said something about when you were in the office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> George H. W. Bush. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We could be two for two here. But, so, but uh, but uh, yeah. I think that, I think yeah, I, I, see that. I think it's a, it's gonna be a miscavige. But you know the but you mm-hmm. know he'll just jump into another body. Um, oh, but, um, you know what I wish? This is a wish that I don't think will come true. But uh, McConnell. I, well, I think. It's I mean, that seems yeah. pretty. No, uh, that seems not. pretty. But I, I think solid, he has to short circuit in front of a camera. No, yeah, we yeah. we have. Yeah. He will die live on TV when yeah. he dies. I feel like that has to. Happen. We have seen the android flip on and off multiple times. I think it's very yeah, clear yeah. that one day it just won't boot back up. Yeah, like, Pelosi yeah. could die too. Like, no, I, I think I think McConnell's gonna die the way he lived with fentanyl that got snuck into his heroin. You know, that's uh, that's just uh, I, I think. <laughs> Obvious. And, uh, and on that note, uh, mm-hmm. bye. Yertle the turtle. Bye bye. Are we free? We're mm-hmm. free. Bye. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.
Welcome to It Could Happen Here. It is 2024. A lie. It's 2023. Robert has just pissed everybody off for the last three <laughs> minutes and 14 seconds. That Listener, we will, Sophie is gaslighting you. It is I'm, still yeah. December. When they listen to this, it'll be 2024. You don't know that. I do know that. Uh-huh. I'm in charge. Okay, moving on. We're, we're going to do some listener questions today, but um, I just wanted to, you know, give a shout out to each member of our team. We have Shireen Lani Yunus. We have James Stout. We have Mia Wong. We have Garrison Davis. And we have Big Bobby E. Big That's right. Bobby That's right. E. And uh, we're going to answer some listener questions. Thank you for those to those who have su- submitted. Um, anybody else uh-huh. want to say anything before I start? Besides Robert. <sighs> Thank you to about half of those who submitted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The rest you need to have a chat with yourselves. (laughs) You you know who you are. (laughs) I don't think they do. I don't think our our listeners are very self-actualized. All right, Sophie, take it away. Um, To each of you, any book recommendations for introduction to anarchist history and or theory? If I may. There's a book called Great Anarchist by Dog Section Press. It's written uh, by Ruth Kinner, who's been on the podcast. It's got very short bios of different great anarchists. Uh, I think you will enjoy it. I think you can get the PDF for free online. I like to print them out and put them in as little libraries that rich people like to have in their neighborhoods uh, and, and red pill them, black pill them slowly that way. So yeah, Great Anarchists by Dog Section Press from Dog Section Press by Ruth McKinnon. My one is kind of it's it's slightly more specialized, but uh, Anarchism in Latin America is a great book. Also, the cover is just gorgeous, so you'll have that around all the time. But yeah, it's really good. It's good. It basically it goes country country by country through Latin America and talks about all the anarchist movements, and it's great. Yeah, I guess not. It's not. It's sort of anarchist, I suppose. Um, but I've been doing a lot of union stuff recently, so I've been thinking a lot about the concept of work. So I have kind of returned to this really good book, Crime Think, put out titled "Work." Very, very basic uh, look into sort of like anarchist, almost like anti-work theory. It's just a nice book to interrogate how the concept of like work and labor exists in your own head. I've, I've, I've appreciated that one through the years. Sharina Robert. Either of you? I second all those answers. Amazing answers, everybody. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, and I I cannot read, so I'm going to second those answers. Mm -hmm. Robert recommends the book, uh, isn't it like the No Gods, No Masters, uh, AK Press one with the Chaos Star? Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that's got a lot of like (laughs) old anarchist essays and shit starting in like the 1800s. So if you're interested in that kind of history, you can read that. Mm All right. uh, Next question. Um, I think this will be different depending on the type of episode and like what show people are writing it for. But I got several different people asking, you know, how long it takes to research write like an average episode. So we're talking like not not talking like a a series such as Garrison's Stop Cop City series, but like an average episode where you're talking about something and uh, it's a scripted episode, but you're talking about something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, some episodes take months. Uh, if but an uh, in, in average episode, usually if I'm putting it together, it might take me like four days from start to completion. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking of my uh, of my uh, Desantis Fashwave episodes. Yeah. Usually, you'll have like maybe two days of more research, and then uh, two days of like well, then like one day of like scripting, and then editing that script on like the the, the fourth day, and then you 
record. So yeah, maybe maybe around that. I mean, some episodes come together faster, some episodes come together longer. It really, really varies. Shushu? Yeah, I would agree with that timeline. I think three to four days sounds about right. Um, I've been trying to take an extra day just to read through the script like multiple times just because uh, I've been it's just better for like my performance as like weird as that sounds um, so yeah I would say like uh, when you write a script the worst thing you can do is immediately read it after you mm-hmm. finish writing it and I've made that mistake before I definitely have so taking uh, time is important yeah James Mia Robert anything you want to add I spent 35 years preparing for the Sheep podcast. Yeah. Uh, It it really depends on the episode. If it's an interview, I'll spend maybe a couple of hours, you know, studying up on everything the person has said. If it's a scripted episode, a scripted half hour to 45 minutes of the show is generally five to seven pages. That's maybe an hour or two to write and then four to six hours of research Although it, it kind of depends, you know, because um, a lot of it's based on just sort of like ongoing research, right? Where whereas like something will happen in the news and we'll we'll do some studying up on that event. But we're also keeping in touch with like like when, when we have episodes on on terrorist attacks and whatnot, like I don't know how to actually like lay out how much time goes into those episodes because it's, <laughs> a large part of it is just the process of like keeping up with the way terror is evolving sure, in, yeah. in American to a politics. Degree, we all have beats, right? Like we all have yeah. stuff that we just keep up with. Yeah, like we're we're not counting all the time that we spend like in Telegram, just like watching, yeah. right? But the, that, the gram, but yeah, yeah, yeah sure, that's what sure. the kids are calling it. <laughs> Second time this year, Garrison's found themselves too old to understand a youth reference. My my next question: What conspiracy theory or unsolved mystery do each of you believe in? D- dangerous question for us to answer on, <laughs> on air. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just want to point out that Garrison sent me this question to ask. So <laughs> well, there must be an answer in mind. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right, Garrison mm-hmm. Danger Davis. <laughs> okay. Well, I uh, I don't know what what even. I'm not sure if I believe in anything that would be classified as a conspiracy theory. I, I I would have to I would have to think on this actually, I don't know. Yeah. I don't believe in it, but I fucking love Bohemian Grove stuff. It's like one of the OGs, you know, from like the beginnings of the internet, and I just can't get enough about people who have just never deviated from the Bohemian Grove. Like that dude who went there with the combination AR-15 shotgun and, and tried to uh, like destroy Bohemian Grove. Legend. I love reading about that stuff. It's nonsense, but it's fun. I mean, like okay, I, I actually ser- have. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no, go, please. please. Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. We're, do- we're doing, we're doing, we're doing this one. Again. Okay, if you, if you were on the live show, you've heard this. If you were not on the live show, you haven't oh, heard yeah. this. Which is that? Okay. From, Here we go. From, 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 from the late 1970s until the early 1980s, when it was uh, busted by the Italian police, the Italian government is run by a rogue Masonic lodge called the PT Organization. Oh my God! I know it's propaganda. Do a very various elements. Okay, so there, there's this thing going on. Here she there's goes. various elements. Use the Red Brigades <laughs> as a way. 
as a way to assassinate Aldo Moro. Uh, they, 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 they take him to a hotel that is like, it's run by like one of the red cardinals. Is one of the sort of the communist cardinals is like in this building is like a NATO weapons, is like someone, uh, a NATO weapons uh, dealer, uh, an think, Italian I general. I think I see a red laser hovering over. This is all real. This was, <laughs> over this, this one right is insane. Now. Look. <laughs> This was on the front page of New York Times in 1983. The the thing is, the thing is, okay, so every conspiracy theory on Earth is real, but it was only real from about 1977 to 1983 in Italy. Like, all of them are there at the same time. Like, during the Aldo Moro assassination, like, the, the, the two groups trying to free Aldo Moro are the Pope, on the one hand, and then... Well, actually, that's not true. There's, there's the Pope who's working through uh, an Israeli uh-huh. guy in the Kessnet, and the uh-huh. other group trying to free him <laughs> is, the, is the PFLP. Yes, she's got all of them. The um, Pope, the Israelis, do you the have Masons, like a cork board? Do you have like a cork yeah, board look, with like red string? string. Yeah, we haven't string. even gotten. Okay, like yeah. one, one of the one of the one of the guys who makes sure who makes sure that the Elder Moro dies is um is he's like a now he's now an insane Alex Jones conspiracy guy. Like he's on Alex Jones all the time. He was like he was the hostage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a he's a regular fixture. Yeah, so like he the people try to kill him. Like the both the U.S. the Soviets independently of each other are both trying to make sure this guy dies. Same with the East Germans. I. Uh, the fucking uh, oh, what's it called? The 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 Meinhof group, the 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 the, the weird German. <laughs> yeah. They're right. also involved. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I am a I am a nine eleven truther. Uh, oh my god! I don't believe that when you call nine one one. It goes anywhere. I think. I think oh. they're just hooking you up to an AI. It's it's a con, people. Oh shit! <laughs> Rudy Giuliani has to pay those uh, Georgia election workers one hundred and fifty million dollars. That's, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I feel like he's got that. Yeah, I yeah, feel like he's got that hanging around. He'll be, It'll be good. No, but he oh, literally yeah. defamed the shit out of those lovely, lovely people. And, he, um, I mean, defamation is like eighty percent of what he does. Okay, new new favorite conspiracy theory. Um, Panera Bread made the deadly lemonade on purpose as a marketing <laughs> whatever, whatever. Who cares? It's white genocide. That's why they made it. See, I I fully support the lemonade that kills you. I think we need more lemonade that kills people. We're gonna take a quick ad break. We'll be right back. And we are back. What are you most excited to work on this year slash be a part of Create? What are we most excited to work on next year? And I've yeah. been stockpiling a lot of and um, so I, 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 I got some plans. I got some plans. I got some plans. Do we believe or not? That's the that's real question. Uh, yes. I don't know. That's that's someone else's <laughs> yeah. job to decide. I, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you from experience that the ATF will visit your employer <laughs> if you include instructions on how to make <laughs> in your in your work. It's legal. Go ahead. So Go ahead, Garrison. <laughs> they'll still bully you. Go ahead, Garrison. Um, I'm planning to attend a whole bunch of more kind of occult conferences or paranormal conventions and and get get more into the high strangeness world. Uh, this year, that's that's something I'm, I'm I'm excited about. I'm really excited. We're launching a weekly show uh, with Jamie Loftus um, starting in the spring that I'm very excited to be producing. So look out for that. 
I okay. I've been working on this for a fucking year now, but it's it, it's coming next year, which is my my episodes on the lab league stuff. I have a corkboard that makes that the entire Italy <laughs> nobody, rant I made look nobody normal. Nobody doubts I that you have spent, a corkboard, Mia. <laughs> I have spent so many hours talking to epidemiologists. Yeah, I'm losing my mind, but it's coming. It will happen. I'm very excited about it. You you have been talking about these episodes for yeah. quite a while, literally yeah. a year. Yeah. It's, Robert? Me a palooza. I have agreed to do a podcast that is going to be a nightmare, but you'll you'll all love it. You'll all love it as it ruins my life. And uh, I don't know, probably eventually the Robert E. Lee episodes. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get those out. You know what? Uh, I've been doing, I've been working on a T.E. Lawrence series of episodes oh, that nice. I'm very excited about. <laughs> Amazing. Lawrence of Arabia, the guy who invented the concept of insurgency. So... That'll that'll be good. That'll be a good series. I hope Robert and I get to go back to Myanmar and do maybe a visit to uh, some different groups. That would be cool. I would like that. I'm excited to do more migration stuff. Uh, yeah. Spend more time at, and on different parts of the migration journey because I think that's something I've wanted to do for a long time and like I've seen a lot of people do really shitty versions of it. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to give it a crack at at not doing a cringe voyeuristic version of that. Anyone else have an answer to that? Did you answer Sharini? I didn't. I feel like I have two answers. Like one, I'm not excited at all because I feel like the most when I'm most motivated, it's when I'm the most angry. And so I'm not excited for things to make me angry and uh, upset. But I am looking forward to I think I like when I have people on that are like experts or they have knowledge that I don't. And so I like the possibility of of having more conversations that are enlightening, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also I mean, would like to talk more about corn and food. Uh, that is fun. So maybe I should focus on that. Yeah, maybe more, I should focus more on fun eat things. Could happen here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, that's that's something I look forward to. Something to be fun. We we definitely want to do more farm animal episodes. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. more food yeah. more food episodes. But no, yeah. Shereen, you you bring up a good point about how this kind of whole show works. Is that all of the best stuff we make, in my opinion, is always related to things that we're passionate about. Mm. And passion can come in a few forms. Uh, anger is <laughs> something that is a big driver of passion, but that's you know usually less fun. So it's always nice when we can be able to cover something that we are passionate about, but it comes from not a place of anger, but it comes from a place of like ge- like like genuine like intense interest. Yeah, like I genuinely love corn <laughs> and, I, and i loved the conversation about sheep so i look forward to the possibility of making things not just when i'm like enraged and more sure. when i'm like that's a good point that's a good point that passion can be can come from different things because i was just as passionate to talk about corn than i was to talk about an important thing that happened <laughs> so yeah i have a i have a specific yeah. question that i vetted to james ahead of time um yeah. which is do you have any stories about meeting fans or listeners irl I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm not disturbing on you. Can you go? Can air your trauma later? Uh, please approach Robert when he's buying groceries. Uh, but but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, do do it. Don't do that. Tickle shit. him. Tickle, he's very ticklish. Um, I, I I I am always armed in the grocery <laughs> store. So no. please, please don't do that. That's why you got to tickle him. <laughs> don't tickle Robert, guys. It's weird. Yeah. So loads of people, not loads, but a lot of people who have listened to our podcast have come to help in Akumba, and they're all very nice. Uh, and I've enjoyed building yurts and making sandwiches and ladling out beans with them immensely. And it genuinely does make me really happy because it can, like, 
when we do the podcast, we see like each other and in our little rooms, and, and and then it just goes out into the ether, and you never know who's listening. And so it's really cool when people listen and then sh- like show up and do something that meaningfully makes the world a better place. And that makes me feel very hopeful. Uh, and that's another like passion thing. <laughs> like I think, especially the mutual aid stuff we've done at the board, it makes me feel really hopeful that like we can do things just fine without the state and without the resources of masses of capital uh, and without any major sort of orgs or uh, like institutions behind us. Like we can just help each other and do amazing things. So yeah, when people show up for that, it's cool. Uh, slightly weird when they show up listening to the podcast and I hear myself in their car. That's <laughs> not okay. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I, I, They're just trying I to catch love up. those people. Yeah, yeah. I, I too would be trying to catch up if I had to listen to all the stuff we put out. I think it's honestly really cool that people show up for that kind of stuff. It makes yeah. it makes so much of the weird parts of being a podcast host worth it when mm-hmm. stuff like that is, yeah. yeah. That's been something that, uh, that Mia's been pointing out recently, how we seem to be one of, in, in terms of like, you know, podcasts that, that, that cover the sorts of things we do, we're... Our, our fan base seems to be relatively offline in a lot of ways, and yeah. a lot of a lot of them actually a lot of the people actually do a lot of real world stuff, which is great. Like that's that, that that's kind of the entire point, is that all, most of the things we talk about there's 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 ways that you have the power to change it in small mm-hmm. ways. You know, it's no like large immediate effects. Like you solve the problem immediately, but. There's there's always small things that can that can slowly change the tide of many of the problems that we discuss every day. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna throw throw to an ad break here. Unless you have Cooler Zone Media and Android listeners, that is coming soon. I it's a little bit out of our control yeah. on that end, but we do yeah. ask about it constantly, and it will be happening. If you have a Cooler Zone account, you cannot die. That's fun. That's a good. It's a true fact. So. Purchase it. Render yourself immune to the passage of time. And we're back. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask. Uh, what's everyone's favorite Christmas movie? Okay, so I. I have already talked about my annual Batman Returns watch party, which was a great a great success this year. It was a big hit. Um, I made tons. Ton, I made about probably like four dozen latkes. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We we got to that's we got a lot because wow, wow, Robert, that's <laughs> you should do this for a job. This is your you're <laughs> off the cuff kind of humor. That's crazy. Yeah. What uh, a, what a dub. But no, we we got we, we got a nice group of people to. To uh, oogle at Danny DeVito vomiting black goo for approximately two hours, so that was a big win. I, it, it's it's by far the 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 best Christmas movie in my in my opinion. I, no, I agree. It's my favorite one by far. And Banger! Yes, me and my family have watched it consistently like, since I was like a child. Like like since I was like two years old, it's always, we just were obsessed with it. And I don't remember if you said this last year. And I already this is like a repeat of the conversation, but I agree that's the best Christmas movie uh, I can think of. Yeah. My, Michael Keaton total domination. Here we go. Best best Batman 
by far, by far, far. miles. He's just miles away from from the rest. So when I was growing up, my parents used to ditch my brother and I and go to the Laker game on Christmas, and we. (laughs) This explains so much. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, real plot reveal. Explains so much, Sophie. I'm sorry. Thank. I love you. I love you, parents. And I and I respect it, but my my brother and I used to watch like we would spend the entire day watching all the like Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies. Mm. Nice, and nice. That just feels that feels like Christmas to me. Sure, I mean, but, yeah, especially especially the animated ones definitely have that kind of like fantasy jolly kind of feel. Totally. Yeah, I uh, yeah. Anybody else? I like My to watch family. Love Actually, but it's very pretty. Oh, James, it's, it's so basic of you. I love I know, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm secretly a, a basic uh, white lady. But uh, every time I watch it, there's something else problematic that I, I hadn't previously thought <laughs> before. And uh, it's, it's getting to the point where I should probably stop talking about it in public. That's amazing. Yeah. Then, now the audience knows who the biggest wife guy on the team is. <laughs> Definitely yeah. James. Yeah. <laughs> This is a question for for Robert. Looking back on season one of It Could Happen Here, do you still see a second civil American Civil War as a likely or plausible event in our near future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible we're going to look back on where we are right now as the earlier stages of it, right? Civil conflict is is pretty widespread. I think one of the differences, like, for example, one of the big differences with that... <laughs> The Texas California Alliance. Yeah, the A twenty four Civil War movie is it's it's clearly imagining like a large scale military conflict. I don't find that particularly likely, but you do have one major political party stating that when we take power in twenty twenty four, our guy is going to act as a dictator. He's going to imprison and execute his political opponents, and you have widespread acts of violence and violent threats that are occurring as part of like a a uh as part of like the the political conflicts that have existed in this country for a while they they've all transitioned to being kind of explicitly acts of of public violence or at least public threats of violence and you're seeing this around for example a lot of the discourse surrounding what's happening in gaza right you just had that case where like some fucking like grade school teacher threatened to cut mm-hmm. a student's throat for criticizing israel like the the degree to which people who are if you'll forgive the less technical term pieces of shit feel emboldened to use and threaten violence in the furtherance of their political agendas is is something we may wind up seeing as like, yeah, we we were in it by this point. So again, I, I'm not a believer, and a big part of it could happen here is like, I don't I don't think any mass civil conflict in the United States is going to be armies fighting over states, right? Yeah. Um, because that's that's simply not realistic. But I do think we are in what any reasonable person would say, call a mass civil conflict. And, uh, I, I, you know, my, my big question is whether or not we're going to see it as a civil conflict or as an extension of a global conflict, which includes outright shooting wars, but also mass information warfare in this kind of planetary struggle between the idea at least if never not the promise that like democracy is is the the kind of goal and 
the strongly held belief by large groups of people that we need an authoritarian system governed effectively by the people who are presently in power, right? Like you, you, you are seeing this kind of struggle between the idea that we should have a system in which people are allowed to pick their leaders and this idea that like the winners of the last 20 years of capitalism and politics should be able to solidify their hold forever. So my, my big question is whether or not we're going to come to see where we are right now as the early stages of a civil conflict that's going to get progressively more violent and have a progressively higher body count, or are we going to see this as part of a global military and political struggle that is is going to kind of shake out the next hundred years of uh, kind of the political status quo on earth and in, in a similar way to like world war ii you know more or less laid out the next 80 or 90 or something like that i've got two more questions um, sounds good first um do you each of you have a favorite episode you've put out we're all trying not to say the cum episode at the same time. It was the cum I, episode. I really, I really, I really that have episode some was bad, great. I have some really bad we got news. It all. I have really yeah. some bad news. That was the most I, downloaded I episode think, of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody oh, loves cum. Look, gross. everybody loves loves talking about cum. Yeah. You, no. you fucking sickos. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, Sharini. I'm with you. <laughs> Sorry, Sophie, you've been outvoted. I'm never out, I'm never outvoted. I have ultimate veto yeah. power. I see. That's wow. what you're seeing, guys. The struggle between this is the democracy exact problem and Robert was talking about yep. right here. <laughs> um, Sophie's on the Musk side. Disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's it's certainly hard to even pick one episode just from this year. I mean But it's the cum episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I will say the com the com episode was fun to put together. Um, I we we really delved into the uh, the trenches there that few few Garrison, other people are brave enough. Would, would you yeah, say yeah. it? Would you say it really came together? Robert, <laughs> oh my gosh, Robert. Jesus Christ. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer these questions for each of you with each of your work. Thank because, you, thank you. Because I'm yeah, a fucking you, professional. Sir. Garrison's Cop Cop City work has been just that. I really, I tell, I tell this to girl all the time. But they're the most amazing storyteller. You really feel like you are, you're able to visualize everything going on with the words that they say. Um, and I think it's an important story that they've been on top of since the beginning. Um, I don't think anybody covers labor issues in the way that Mia does, and I think Mia has, um, really done that in 2023 and will continue to do that in 2024 in a way that's not being covered in mainstream media. And I think that those stories are extremely important and have made a significant impact on uh, labor and union culture and strikes and fighting for what's right. James! <laughs> Man. It's like I okay. want I want to say I want to say the work you do at the border, but I really love when you talk about things that are silly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and I think they're equally things. as important. But James talk James talking about sheep and the joy that James had when he talked about sheep is uh, is really special. But also the work that you've done uh, talking about the war in Myanmar and helping people at the border has been extremely impactful to our listeners. Shushu is a historical almanac to ev to all things the Middle East and has, I think, educated 
not just the audience, but also all of us on things that really everyone should know. And I think that she's brilliant and I, I love you, Shereen. Robert. Hey. Sophie. It's the cum episode, right? That's what <laughs> we're talking about. Definitely not the cum yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, no. But um, it's really hard to pick my favorite Robert episode because I record with him like most days. But I, I think that what Robert <sighs> has done, specifically within Bastards this in, in 2023, was really get on top of the Bastards we're all surviving right now. Which um, I think he did a really great job talking about Andrew Tate. I think he did an incredible job getting an episode out immediately about Stockton Rush, uh, the the guy who killed all those uh, people under oh, the submersible. <laughs> really, really the hero of the year, right? The guy yeah. responsible for the great feel good story of twenty twenty three. So much better of a time. We need. We need. Not, yeah. I feel like we can solve most of the world's problems with another eleven or so of those subs. And I d- and I mean, sim- that, is, that is true. <laughs> and a similar socioeconomic group on board them you're, def- you're definitely not not wrong there i'd just like to say you know if you're wondering why the new york times and the washington post are too big a cowards to do a come episode like we did you know there's an old quote if you want to know who rules you ask who you can't criticize that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying garrison i see you i see you doubting me but you know it's true you know it's true Anyways. Yeah, it's r slash nofap. Anyway. <laughs> All right, that's, the, that's it. We're done. We yeah, have 30, I we have 30 gonna, minutes. I said I was going to ask another question, but like, really, what's the, you know, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Yeah, we've climaxed, guys. We, it's, <laughs> oh, thank my you. God. <laughs> thank you, thank you, James. Thank you, James. I appreciate the teamwork, the James. <laughs> Someone had to. Anyways, it's Robert, but I my, my my apologies to Ian for this nightmare of an edit, but um, yeah. Anybody have any final <laughs> thoughts? Anything? Anything? Uh, James, do you have anything you want to plug in terms of of donations or anything? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, uh, so we have a fundraiser for what we're doing at the border. It would be really lovely if you could give us some of your money uh, because I have spent all of the money that I have. Uh, and, and some money that I don't have. It's gofundme.com slash hukumba hyphen migrant hyphen camps or tinyurl.com slash border aid gfm. H- how do they spell hukumba? That's a good question. J-A-C-U-M-B-A. So, like it's Spanish. Um, but yeah, you can also uh, tinyurl slash border aid gfm. Tinyurl.com. That's, that's an easy one to remember. Great. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow because this is a daily show. Bye. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast returning from our holiday break to discuss the exciting topic of infectious diseases in Gaza. And for that, we're uh, joined by an all-star cast of uh, experts. We have joining us today Saskia Popescu, who's an infectious disease epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Maryland. Uh, Welcome, Saskia. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's not just you. We've also got Carve. Carve's uh, back. I'm back. I'm, I'm back, baby. I'm back. This is actually my first time. This is Shireen also. I'm here. Uh, this is my first time meeting Carve. So this is a, a real treat oh, wow. for me. Yeah. 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 Hi, I like I've Hi. done you wrong, Shireen. I'm sorry. I didn't introduce you. It's okay. It's probably in the description or something that I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's, no one's surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll make a valuable contribution. People will know you're here. But yeah, it, it's all of us. And yeah, we, we're talking today because like... I think the uh, the origin story of this particular episode is that like a few weeks ago, there was a very funny thing on the internet about people in the IDF getting diarrhea. Yeah. Which is funny, objectively. That's what the yeah. D in IDF stands for, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's yeah. what all the kids are saying. Uh, but sorry. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, I'm no, sorry. No, it's don't, funny. It's, don't you ever apologize <laughs> yeah, for poop humor. Then, no, yeah. you do not apologize for that. Uh, no. uh, any opportunity yeah. just to shit on them. <laughs> oh, oh, good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is, you, expect many, there's half an hour at least of this. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> be driving because you might laugh too much and crash. Uh, but no, it, it's very funny. It's the name of our group chat. It's the Israeli Diarrhea Forces. But aside from that, and, like this raises a more important question, right? Which is that people in Gaza don't have access to very many medical supplies to begin with. Uh, weird, weird things are embargoed, like tourniquets, which we've spoken about in this podcast before. 
they also have obviously a very resource constrained environment to begin with. And then a number of their hospitals have been bombed since then, which obviously further reduces their access to medical care. Also, they have less access to things like running water now because they're being bombed to uh, an incredible degree. And so Saskia has joined us today to like explain the risk of the spread of infectious disease, maybe give us an update on like what's already happening and the risks of what could happen. So I guess maybe we should start off with really basic stuff and explain what infectious diseases are and like how they're different from non-communicable diseases. I guess people aren't familiar. Would one of you like to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So infectious diseases, you know, we have, when we talk about diseases in general, as you mentioned, there are chronic diseases, things like diabetes, cancer. When we talk about infectious diseases, meaning they're communicable, for the most part, that means that they are spread through various sources, human to human, like influenza. There's things like anthrax that you can, E. coli, Campylobacter, that you can get from soil, from food, and the zoonotic diseases that they are also spread through animals. So things like Ebola, uh, MERS, which is uh, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus. So infectious diseases are viruses, bacteria, fungi, parasites, and they really love to take advantage of high stress environments for spread. And unfortunately, this is one of them. So this is a very, what we see with infectious diseases a lot is that conflict and environments where people are stressed, resources are stressed, and the environment is under continuous bombardment. There's densely populated spaces, no access to health, clean food and water, etc. I mean, I could probably go on for five minutes about what makes an infectious disease spread. I was going to amplify it. So these are diseases that take advantage of these environments. I'll, I'll add that the situation is just a perfect setup for infectious disease to run rampant. There's over 1.9 million people that have been displaced. Of that, 1.4 million are living in overcrowded shelters at this point. And at the, in the best scenario, from what I've seen, there's one toilet for every 220 people. Now, if you ever lived in like a house of like five people, and there's like one case of diarrhea, you'll realize how terrible that is. Now, you amplify that to 220 at the minimum, and that's a best case scenario. I've heard as high as one per 700 people in some places. And then, you know, people have to go in the streets. They have to go where there's water supplies, and you're, you're going to be infecting those areas. There's one shower for every like 4,500 people, again, in best case scenario. So it's a huge number of people getting concentrated into smaller and smaller areas and without the infrastructure there to handle that in any way. And when that happens, I mean, we are going to see, I am really worried about seeing in the end of this more deaths from infectious disease than from the bombardments. Yeah. Well, that's, that's like a, it almost feels like a a double, like another weapon that they're, that, that they're, that they've used because they're not letting them have a chance to recuperate or, have a sanitary place to do surgeries or anything because if they're doing surgery with unsanitary conditions, they can get infected. Like the wounds can get infected and that's a whole nother thing. Or even just like having waste in the street, like making it like having it fester. It just, it's, it's really, I think people forget that it's not just like a, a building was destroyed or people were killed. It's there's lasting effects that linger. For probably generations, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know, it really is infuriating. 
I think the crazy part is the World Health Organization, so the WHO, recently released some data as to what is being reported to them in terms of disease. And they said so far, now keep in mind, these are just reported numbers. And that means it's just the tip of the iceberg in most Mm -hmm. cases. 100,000 cases of diarrhea. And those are in young children. So half of those are in young children under the age of five, which means it can be deadly. And this number is just 25% higher than what we have seen reported pre-conflict. And in terms of respiratory infections, so things like COVID, influenza, pneumonia, 150,000 cases. And that's just the numbers that we know about. But we're also seeing cases and outbreaks of things like meningitis, skin rashes, scabies, lice, chickenpox, which is highly infectious. And you know, we worry in those cases about when people are in these close quarters and their bodies are already strained. Because one thing we do know is that when you're bodies physiologically under stress, meaning no sleep, malnutrition, you know, not access to clean water to wash your hands, not you're dehydrated, etc. You're at an increased risk for disease and severe disease. So that means that people are at higher risk to get it and then to spread it in these environments. And that's what's really scary because it becomes a hot spot for transmission. And you mentioned that this feels like a secondary effect in many ways. It's almost like a a secondary conflict, if you will, Mm -hmm. and one that will leave lasting implications. Because what we do know is that disease and conflict go hand in hand. And when I think about it a lot, it's, and we've seen this, unfortunately, throughout time is that conflict can bring disease, and it can amplify disease. When I say bring disease, we know that people in these spaces, soldiers can bring in diseases that are being spread around. But we've also seen sexually transmitted diseases in the past being spread through sexual assault and sexual violence. And that's one thing I definitely worry about. And unfortunately, we know that's happening. And it's not something we're going to see reported for a while. But things like that can and do occur. And it's it's a very scary situation. If, if I can tack on a little bit to the diarrhea subject here, because I am a GI and, and liver doc. I mean, in a typical month in Gaza, there is about 2000 cases of diarrhea in kids under five. And in the last month, there was over 40,000 cases. And for kids that aren't getting water, they're not getting the recommended amount of like daily water. Like it's like seven to eight liters in refugee situations is what's recommended. These people are getting like one to two liters per whole families. So they're not staying hydrated. And these are kids that are the most vulnerable. That's the part that is really hard for me. And I've, I've actually seen people sort of downplay it, like just like, well, it's diarrhea, you know, that's what you get. But in these situations, it's it's going to be very serious for these kids. And the other thing we're seeing is cases of jaundice. They're noting that people are becoming, which to me suggests that there's hepatitis A and hepatitis E, which is, you know, you get through fecal oral contamination. And hepatitis E in particular is what concerns me because there is pregnant women and when pregnant women get hepatitis E, it's worse for them. There's that, that, that's a, a really bad situation. And when that happens, I mean, these are, these are women who are already not getting support. They're already undernourished. They're not able to produce breast milk. They're going to be sick. They're not going to be able to feed their kids. It's, um, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine, honestly. I, I mean, I know it's, it's funny. We can say these things. We can talk about the numbers, but it is like to actually wrap my brain around it breaks my brain. I cannot like imagine the numbers of people that that are sick and are in these hospitals, not just being treated, but like the Nasser Hospital, which is one of the two hospitals in in Gaza. You know, they they're like a 350 bed hospital, 
there are already over like a thousand patients and not to mention the many thousands over 70,000 people just staying there you know for for refuge it's absolutely a nightmare i can't i can't wrap my brain around it yeah like often i know when i speak to colleagues who are there or other journalists say they'll go to hospitals a in the hope that they'll be safe which hasn't proven to be true sadly which is pretty messed up but b you know they, they have maybe generators right so they can charge and 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 tell the world what's happening or try to seems like some of the world isn't listening but yeah it, it, it their hospitals are incredibly overcrowded i wonder like if we could go back to diarrhea, um, I know it's not like a fun topic yes. to talk about. Yeah, yeah, God, just, Score. Yeah. It's ready it's to run. It's my time to shine. It, yeah. <laughs> it's this life's work. So, like, I think it was diarrhea that I read kills more people than conflict annually. Oh, yeah. Worldwide? Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Saskia probably has better numbers on it than I do, actually. But worldwide, yeah, it's uh, probably the number one, um, number one killer. Yeah. So, like, Let's just break that because I most of like by the very nature of this being a podcast, right? Most of our people listening are in in the in the kind of the, the in the neoliberal core or the global north, whatever you want to call it, right? Like they have a smartphone and they've downloaded this, and, and it might be difficult to understand how you die from diarrhea, which is like an inconvenience in in a lot of places. So can you just explain that for people so they can they can understand and how the conditions that we're seeing in Gaza would compound that? Saskia, do you want me to go first? Oh, all you. I'll talk so, about how it spreads. You can talk. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the there's a couple of issues that can happen. There's a lot. But, I mean, dehydration is going to be a major one and loss of electrolytes. And these people can get so badly dehydrated that their circulatory system isn't working properly, or they can lose the amount of electrolytes that they need and they're not replacing. And that can cause cardiovascular issues as well. So it's a terrible way to die. I mean, you know, cholera and these terrible, like, diarrheal epidemics uh, that, you know, we, we think of, of mostly in the past, they're terrible, they're terrible ways to go. And especially if you don't have the... I mean, it's treatable. Usually it's treatable. You know, you get fluid rehydration, you get electrolyte management. It's, it's pretty manageable in the right situation. But if you don't have that, um, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be a devastating thing to the body over time. And so for young kids sooner rather than later. Yeah. So maybe we should explain how it spreads. Yeah. I, I mean, the scary part, so there's multiple pathogens that can cause diarrheal illness. And for the most part, we see bacteria and viruses. Um, if you've had norovirus, which is the cruise ship bug, that is highly transmissible, meaning it just goes through households and environments very, very quickly. During outbreaks, you can't just use hand sanitizer and a simple disinfectant. You need bleach. And if, you're, if we're thinking about the best case scenario, and I've, I've seen you know, diarrheal illnesses go through schools, hospitals, you name it we still struggle to contain those. Now put yourself in an environment with this level of stress. And, you know, of the 36 hospitals in Gaza, Gaza, 26 have been damaged. 21 are not functional at all. 13 are partially functioning and two are barely functioning. So we know that access to care is a challenge. Resources, I can't even imagine. So that means the capacity to treat patients with antibiotics, with fluids, everything, and now contain it, which is the disinfection you know, all the infection prevention, essentially. And 
I don't even want to think about contact tracing and public health interventions because it doesn't exist. It's an entirely collapsed system. You know, this is a humanitarian crisis. So when, you know, when you have people in close quarters and there's a lot of high touch items because a lot of diarrheal illness is spread through touch, it's, you know, contaminated hands and objects. And then, you know, you touch your mouth, you eat with your hands, et cetera. That's how these things are spread. So between the bathroom not having access, you know, not having access to restrooms. You know, we mentioned the toilet situation. There's also one shower for every 4,500 people. So we know that people are not able to clean themselves effectively. And this is a ripe condition for diarrheal illness to spread. And they, it spreads very quickly, very efficiently, and it is exceedingly hard to get rid of. And it worries me because a lot of these diseases, it's not just like you get it one time and you have immunity to it. It can keep going around. And if you have a situation like that where you cannot clean effectively, you can't treat effectively, then we're just going to see it continuously compound. And that's absolutely terrifying because, you know, we, we were talking about um, pregnant women earlier. There's 50,000 pregnant women right now in Gaza, and they are malnourished. That's just at the tip of the iceberg. And we see that so many children there are malnourished. And these are very um, dangerous infections for vulnerable people. And on the best of days, we struggle to contain diarrheal illness. So my big concern is this and respiratory viruses, to be honest with you, because when you have this many people in close quarters and ignore the fact that they're extremely, you know, physically strained and stressed right now, which is when your immune system struggles, it's going to spread and it's going to be exceedingly hard to contain it. So this is an environment where we're going to see diarrheal illness spread and it's going to unfortunately kill a lot more people then we will even realize it's going to take years to understand the implications of this. Um, you know, if we even consider that access to clean water and food, you know, we've been talking a lot about malnourishment, which is huge, but I'm also concerned that the quality of food that they're getting too, is in the, the water, all of it, everything about the situation is going to spread disease. It's, you know, I, I know that sounds quite dramatic, but it's entirely true. No, I mean, I'm glad you're emphasizing that because I, I don't think people realize the gravity of of like a second wave of death like that, that happens like not even not with weapons. Uh, but um, no, I'm glad you emphasize that. Let's uh, let's take our first break. And we'll be right back. And it reminds me, too, of when we saw UN peacekeepers in Haiti and they introduced cholera. And, you know, and that's it's an unfortunate reality when you are bringing in groups of people to and this, you know, for in in Haiti, they were trying to help the situation. Um, In this case, it's not surprising. I mean, there's there's a really good book um, called Contagions and Chaos that actually talks about how infectious diseases can amplify conflict or create mm-hmm. it. And ultimately, I think we're just going to see this as a rolling health issue until there's a ceasefire and until there's really substantial work in there to re- to resource and to take care of people. I mean, it's scary to me. Uh, Kaveh, you mentioned that you had a question for Saskia. I do. You know, you've written and you talked a lot about the intersections of science and policy, particularly in terms of COVID-19. We've seen that global threats elsewhere can affect Americans. And I'm wondering, is there a way to try and appeal to Westerners who aren't that interested yet in why they should care about infectious diseases 
that are rising or becoming rampant in other places. Is there an argument you can make to these people who may not care that much about the Palestinian people per se? Oh, I, there's there's the the political answer I should give you, and then there's the real answer, which is you know political answer saying that you know people do care, and you know we're just having having to constantly remind them. But the real answer is, look, we just came out of three and a half years of a pandemic. And at this point, if people don't give a shit, they're not going to. And I know that's crude for me to say, but it's, I've, I've been working in this and I've, we've seen it from Ebola to MERS to MPOX. And in now coming out of COVID, I, I think we can safely say that, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when, but people really like the saying that is um, infectious disease knows no borders. And to a certain extent, that is true. Infectious diseases, they don't know that. But it ignores the fact that some countries are more equipped to handle them and that borders are a porous concept. So in this case, I, I think from an American perspective where it is a very complicated relationship Americans have, and I'm not getting into that when it comes <laughs> to Israel, the reality is that it shouldn't matter if it's a conflict. If you see an outbreak somewhere, you should be worried for those people. And it shouldn't matter if it's going to impact you. But now that we have lived through a pandemic, a historical event, I would like to think people would see this and realize any one of these diseases can come to the States. It can strain global resources. And I'm, I'm hopeful that with the amount of attention that's coming to this and that the work that the WHO and, and the UN have been drawing attention to it, that will change, but I, I get a little nervous every time we talk about infectious diseases and conflict areas because I find that Americans, and it's not just us, but people in high-income countries, disassociate because that is a conflict-related issue. But it's not. Um, conflict can mean many different things, and it's essentially saying this is, this is an issue that's going to bubble out of control. And if we were in a situation where there was no clean food and water, we had no access to health services and medicine, Fuel was an issue in power, no communication. And I just, you know, read that three Palestinian internet providers went down. So they have no way to contact the outside world, safe housing, safe passage, etc. Any one of those impacted us, we would be experiencing it. And I, I will leave that question with one comment it's to say, we are a very well-resourced country. The U.S. invests so many resources into health, global health security, biopreparedness, all of the above. And we were one of the worst performers when it came to COVID response. And, and I say that having worked in healthcare during that and doing epidemiology, and I think this should be a continuous wake-up call that it's, it's, we're one disease away from an international crisis. And when we see this, it should really speak to the fact that it is global health. It's not national health, not local health. It is global health. That's my TED Talk. <laughs> the good TED Talk. I, I guess like, if I could piggyback on that, like, there is not a single war that I have covered. Uh, either remotely or in person, where I have not then seen those people arrive at our border where I live. Uh, like, I was in Syrian Kurdistan in October. I am seeing people leaving Turkey, more, more Turkish Kurdistan, but, but also Syrian Kurdistan, or uh, people who went to Syria and went back to Turkey at our southern border right now. I am seeing people from conflicts all over the world at our southern border right now. And like, ev every single conflict because we tend to stick our nose into every single conflict, uh, it ends up here, right? Because we tell people we support them and then we abandon them and they come here thinking that we were going to support them. I'll also add that every time there is an infectious disease outbreak going forward, 
it will be used in the same way that COVID was to prevent asylum uh, through the Title 42 that was used to, uh, like, quote unquote, catch and release migrants at the southern border, allowed Border Patrol to, re- to reject people without processing their asylum claim. That's a public health law. It's not a migration law. Biden's already indicated that he would love to do the same thing again. And, and like, you don't even need an excuse with this infectious disease stuff, right? The law is already there and it was already in place for several years. Um, so it's kind of stood the test of the courts. And this will impact, even if you don't give a shit about people in Palestine and maybe you should examine what's up with your morality if you do, like, this will impact you because people will come here and it will impact you because people who should come here won't be able to. And that will mean that people who have done nothing wrong, who trusted us when we lied to them, you know, people, Americans seem to care about Afghans more than other people. Like I've spoken to hundreds of Afghan women at our border and like they were stuck under Title 42 in very dangerous situations in, in places like Mexico. So even if you only care about those people, you should still care about this, I guess. Can I add something too? I, I think, please. you know, to, to avoid fueling isolationism, because I think that happens all the time when we talk about these global health issues every resource that has to be put to helping this health crisis that is bubbling out of a humanitarian crisis is a resource that's not back where it's supposed to be addressing global health issues. Meaning, so for example, when we saw the Ebola outbreak in West Africa in 2014, after there were, you know, we started to actually realize the implications to malaria control, tuberculosis, HIV. So when we have to throw a bunch of emergency resources at a a crisis, those are coming out of somewhere else. And I worry too that people don't realize that we're, you know, as the WHO, the UN, everywhere MSF is having to help this situation because there's no access to care. And it, again, is a health crisis. That means we're going to start to see other things pop up elsewhere. And that really worries me because we are already very strained when it comes to global health resources. We just, again, came out of a pandemic. So everyone's tired. Everyone's burnt out. We've got um, health systems and a lot of, and we're seeing even in the US where a lot of funding for like the CDC is being pulled and NIH. So now that we're out of kind of coming back into this panic neglect cycle, I worry that a lot of the resources that we're having to pull to address this crisis are going to then ultimately leave a lot of other places at risk for infectious diseases for long-term health implications. So it is a lot bigger than one area or people, you know, having to flee to the US. It's it's all of these things. And too often we approach this with a very short-sightedness. And we have we don't, you know, we have finite resources when it comes to global health response. And when we have to use them because, you know, we're not, you know, approaching this effectively or appropriately, then we're going to see larger implications. Yeah. Even like, uh, we can just keep building off each other's stuff and just not hear from the other two. E- even uh, recently, I was trying to buy some humanitarian daily rations for the border, which are if people aren't familiar. They're like MREs for refugees. Yeah, I made Shireen eat one on a live show once. Yeah, it's very yeah. salty. Yeah, very salty. Uh, it's good for the electrolytes. But, uh-huh. um, they're, like that, the State Department is buying the back of surplus retailers at the minute, which like means that the, there's obviously like a critical lack of supply of these things. Same with UNHCR shelters, uh, and like that means that someone else doesn't get to eat 
right? Because we've just massively increased the burden of people who desperately need to eat. And like, it's not like these things were chilling before. Like, there, there were, you know, hunger is still a massive problem in the world, despite us having so much food here. And so, like the same, yeah, the same is true of medical supplies, like you said, right? That that means if somebody else doesn't get them, that money doesn't go to something else very important uh, that it could be going to. Can I ask about something I just learned about the past couple of days? So on December 25th, the Jerusalem Post reported that an IDF soldier died of a fu- of a fungal infection, and apparently uh, he was hospitalized, and eventually he. He died, and at least 10 other soldiers have been diagnosed with infections of some sort. I think what kind of made me annoyed is that there is a headline from the Times of Israel that said, As a soldier with fungal infection dies, fears grow of Gaza diseases spreading into Israel. And apparently they're examining whether the infections originated from the Hamas tunnels and all this stuff. I think... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> While I, it's right. It's a plague tunnel. I, I th- that's it. Really, it really bothered me because I, I looked at all of these articles. I mean, most of them are obviously um, Israeli sourced, but it still was the same rhetoric of there is diseases in Gaza and our soldiers are getting them. And the mm. honestly, the takeaway in all of these was we have to worry about is- Israeli public health and the Israeli citizens. It wasn't about anything My about God. the. Gazans or anything like that. Yeah. And I was just, I guess I wanted to ask, is there any truth at all to the idea that there can be certain infections localized to that degree, even though it's like a very small country in general? And I guess it's, it's, it's really, I feel like it's a fear mongering tactic using health as a weapon. But I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Even the fungus has gone woke. I can't believe it. <laughs> They've weaponized fungus. Um, Saskia, I'll, I'll, I'll let you address it, but I would say this. I mean, I, I think the fear... Of, I just did an episode um, uh, of my podcast uh, on funguses and talking about the last of us and seeing like the truth if there's really concern, especially with global climate change. And it, it is... It, it, I mean, the, the thought of a fungus affecting humans in that way who are not in some way under their body under stress or immunosuppressed it's it's not that likely and i definitely agree from what i'm i'm hearing that like this is just another way to be like look at these dirty people we should bomb them to the it really to, to get rid of me. the fungus yeah like everything yeah. related to palestinians is oh they're all it's all the plague like they're scary they're barbaric and also they're gonna make you sick it's it's really infuriating mm-hmm. they're just going at every angle i just i found the quote That made me mad. Can I read it? Okay, I'm going to read it. Basically, it says, uh, The war between Israel and Hamas has led to the destruction of large swaths of Gaza and internal displacement of the vast majority of its population, resulting in what is called a humanitarian crisis for the Palestinians. I just called that because it is that. Uh, Body, body, blah. These conditions have led to the outbreaks of various diseases, which can potentially threaten the well-being of hundreds of thousands of IDF troops fighting in Gaza. They can also ultimately spell trouble for public health in Israel. I just can't believe that's the takeaway. I'll, I'll let Sas- Saskia, do you want to uh, address the, the the spread of fungal infection in a situation like this? Yeah, I, I mean, look, again, this is a situation where disease is going to be spread, and that includes IDF soldiers. They mm-hmm. are at risk because guess what? They all have to go back to their bunks and sleep at night in close quarters. Do we see diseases spread easily in militaries? Of course, 
I mean, it would be insane not to think that, but trying to, you know, source it in, in Palestinians and Gaza is, is slightly ridiculous because yeah. there's no epidemiological evidence of that. But it's also kind of weird to me that they're saying a fungal infection. That's a very specific thing. And fungal infections aren't fast infections. For the most part, you know, when we do see them, I, I think from a regional perspective, if you live in the Southwest, like I do, valley fever is is a fungal infection. It's in the dirt, though. It's a spore in the dirt. And it's not spread between people. So that's the, that's the key part. It is you inhale it and you get it. Um, and it takes months in a lot of cases. But, you know, can you can you see fungal infections? Yeah, that could be contaminated water, you know, inhalation mm-hmm. um, through showers, things like that. I mean, there's, there's ways for that to happen. But we really just, for the most part, see those infections spread from an individual source, not an individual person. They tend to really not be, they're environmentally spread, you know, and I'm, I'm not a fungal expert. I can just speak to the ones that I've seen. And really, we don't see them spread between people. And so I think that it's, it's a weird choice to say. And I, I worry a little bit that they're just, again, to your point, trying to say like, oh, look, our, our soldiers are getting sick. You know, the sacrifice they're making right, is, yeah. is so much. And here's the thing. Conflict is where we're going to see disease spread no matter what. And I, if, if you're so worried about soldiers getting fungal infections from Gaza, then maybe keep the people in Gaza safe. And then they're, you know, either way you, you paint this, if you're trying to blame it on them, then keep them safe and they won't be able to spread disease. It's very simple. Yeah. They did, they did cite contaminated soil. Okay, that's a contamination thing, like environmental. Yeah, this one epidemiologist said that these soldiers have come back with serious antimicrobial resistant infections that they've picked up through contact with contaminated soil, among other factors. Like one, I I feel like that's like a very uh, direct statement. There's a lot lot to unpack there. (laughs) Again, though, if it's in the soil, it's an environmental exposure. That is like, that's not anyone's fault. From an antimicrobial perspective, that I, I'm having a hard time believing that valley fever, as I mentioned, is really hard to treat. So sometimes it's not responsive to some of the medications you give. But, you know, you're going to get antimicrobial infections more so from people in contaminated objects, because that means that it has to have been exposed to antibiotics and become resistant to the infections. But there's I, that feels like very messy, uh, you know, reporting on their part or communications because not a lot of that makes sense to me. And either way, if they're saying it's from the environment, congratulations, you've yeah. just proven you're not getting it from people. Yeah. Thank you for getting into that. I just, the the Hamas tunnels, uh, no, the Hamas terror tunnels, sorry, in their words, they're terror tunnels. They're mm-hmm. going to investigate whether um, infections have originated from there. It just, it's also uh, just, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm glad to have two doctors here agree, and that's all I wanted. <laughs> I mean, I will say this: coccidiomycosis is valley fever, and we like you know. She just mentioned it's we see it here in California. It's the reason why we used to say if you're driving down Central Valley, California, down the I five, you should roll up your window and and not breathe in the air because there's a possibility of getting it from that. So wait, they say that. Well, they, I don't think they do so much anymore. Do I need to um, do? <laughs> there's a whole <laughs> number of reasons why you don't want to be breathing in. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cow farms out there, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. It gets a little Oof. bit nasty out there in the I-5. But, but I mean, it's, it is an endemic thing. It's like if they don't want to be exposed to it, stay out of that area. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not going to get it from other people. That's the kicker. Right. It's not right. spread from people. Yeah. 
It is very common to attribute infectious diseases that come from conflict to your enemy. Right. Like, if you look at, like, the 1918 pandemic flu, right, and all the different things that people called that flu, and and the people to whom they attributed it, like, you you can see that we've been doing that for more than 100 years. It's it's part of the process of dehumanizing people who you're trying to kill. It happened with COVID, too. No, it's... Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. That was a whole different situation. I mean, I guess humans just don't learn, I suppose. So I wonder, Saskia, like we, obviously this is a terrible situation and it's one that's like super easy to feel very disempowered with because, uh, you know, as, as much as you march around and do things, like it doesn't seem to be stopping. Is there, is there anything that like people can do, advocate for, uh, like take action on that, that could make this slightly less bad? I mean, a ceasefire, I encourage people to donate to UNICEF and obviously, you know, MSF, a lot of the wonderful organizations doing work there. And probably my my biggest one right now, especially since we're around the holidays and people are spending a lot of time with family and likely getting into some heavy conversations around the dinner tables, make sure you're well-informed and you're not spreading misinformation and disinformation online because that's been a huge aspect of this. We, you know, we saw with the, the humanitarian crisis in uh, Ukraine, you know, Russia took direct action to spread misinformation and disinformation. And we're struggling with that in the United States right now with this. So I encourage people to stay informed of this, um, to really utilize good resources and not pull things from social media. If you're going to share something, you know, do so from an accurate source. I really you know, the WHO, UN have been really good at doing continuous updates and sharing that information, Human Rights Watch, and all of the above. And on top of, again, donating and really being an advocate for a ceasefire to me is the biggest thing because, and also reminding people, hey, this is currently a localized crisis, but infectious diseases and humanitarian crises, crises, excuse me, rarely stay that way. I would also plug the Palestinian Medical Relief Society, the PMRS. They're the on-the-ground people. They've been there since 1979. They are founded by Palestinian doctors. It's mostly uh, Palestinian-run, and they're doing, I think, really good work down there as best they can. And they're where actually the WHO gets most of their information, or a lot of it at least. It's coming from their updates from the PMRS people um, on the ground. So that's a, another local source to look at if people are interested in, in getting involved. Perfect. You got Thank anything you. else, Shireen? I'm not, I'm not going to wrap it up yet. I was just thinking how unfortunate it is that people don't care enough. So you have to be like, it's not only going to stay localized. Like, it's not just that pro, you know what I mean? Yeah. I hate that we have to go there because yeah. especially after going through a pandemic yourself, if that is still not enough for you to have any kind of empathy, that's that's just insane to me. That's uh... the one consistent thing I've seen is a lot of people say, "Oh, this conflict is is you know very there's a lot of history, and I don't really want to get involved." And yeah, and, and you know, to us, I, I do understand that there is a long, complicated history that not a lot of people are well informed of. But inform yourself, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean you can't have empathy. You can you know, denounce Hamas and also denounce anti-Semitism. Yeah. These things are not yeah, mutually exclusive. Sure. And 
it's it's impressive to me that we're still after you know it's not even been three months and we've lost twenty thousand people that we know of in this. Um, we're seeing journalists killed left and right as well. It's it's impressive to me that people are still saying, "Ooh, I don't I don't really want to comment on that," or you know, it's 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 very messy. Like, it, it is and it's not though. <laughs> in, in the, yeah, in the yeah. medical, I'm sorry, James. In the medical world, I've seen doctors complain about more about the the word provider and how it's used than the fact that 300 medical professionals have been killed. Some of them while doing their duty in the hospital. Like that's a part that kind of surprised me from a medical perspective. Um, and I, I, you know, I I think I mentioned it to you before. I'm grateful for coming on your show because I think a lot of the there's an overlap between doctors who listen to our show and they listen to yours and they're very vocal and they're online and they are the ones who, who are really giving me hope in these situations because, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people in medicine and this is a medical issue. I mean, I'm not even talking about any of the history. That's nothing. That's not what I'm, it, that's not what is important to me right now. It's about this healthcare crisis that is worsening and progressively worsening. And I, it is, it is a bit of a bummer that I'm not seeing a little bit more interest in, in addressing it. Yeah, I would hope also that most people, like inside or outside the medical community, could maybe agree that like the correct number of hospitals to bomb is zero hospitals, and, and that, but that, yeah, that there isn't a reason why you bomb a hospital. You just shouldn't. I mean, be Anthony doing Blinken that. said like a year or what like about Ukraine and Russia, Russia bombed hospitals and schools. There's no way that's normal. And then like, there's a video where it's like cross sectioning into like right now, how he's like, we're always going to support Israel. So it's like, no, it's (laughs) not normal. Bombing hospitals and schools is never normal or okay. It's crazy that Israel went from being like, we would never bomb a hospital to bombing dozens of them and nothing happening. (laughs) Yeah. But um, like, yeah, I guess just for like, like completion it is not okay when turkey bombs hospitals in in northeast syria either like i was there when they bombed one they bombed another one since it's not okay when the hunter in myanmar bombs hospitals and there's one hospital left standing in the whole of kareni state right now and and like this is happening there too Uh, when we're not like not caring about those people because this is the topic of the day or whatever like it's also not okay to use white phosphorus on unarmed civilians no, yeah, I, like at all. across the board, we're yeah, like in general, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's horrific, and I just, yeah. I think it's, it's you know, and there was there were a couple of reports, and I think that there's still data coming out about it that um, bodies had organs stolen from them, yeah, which is just horrific, Jesus, and yeah, yeah and there's That's a been really a practice um, the Washington, that Israel has done for a while yeah. though. Israel's, uh, they said they stopped it, and then they're continuing to do it, but it's like. They're notorious for bringing to returning bodies that have been like autopsied or having all their organs removed. And I want to just point out that for Muslim burials, the body is like, it's very important that the body is whole and the same for Jewish burials. But it's just uh, really disgusting, just point blank, and then also really disrespectful. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Sorry. No, no, I mean, it's, and again, you know, I think there's still a lot of information coming out about that and how many that occurred, et cetera. Because I, like I mentioned before, I think information right now is really challenging. Accurate information, of course, is exceedingly difficult. So I, I'm always very careful, you know, what, what we say. And, but to me, uh, you know, the, uh, the Washington Post just released a really good article and in-depth analysis of the attacks on the Al-Shifa hospital. 
because that's the biggest hospital in Gaza. And for a while, you know, IDF was saying, well, this is where Hamas has been operating. They have tunnel networks. And there was, there was a good breakdown of why this is inaccurate. And at the end of the day, no, there, there's no acceptable reason to bomb a hospital. And drawing attention to the fact that this was occurring and misinformation is being shared is huge. So I'm hopeful that, you know, and very grateful to be on this podcast and talk with you all because the more information we can communicate about this situation, but also about the fact that there are much larger consequences of this from just even an infectious disease perspective is so critical because I don't think people realize that. And again, they disassociate when they hear it's a conflict. It's a result of conflict. It's, it is so much larger than that. It will, you know, we will see it in the States. We will see the ramifications of this. And, um, if nothing else, again, coming out of COVID, I'd like to think that we realize that we are part of a much larger interconnected world and infectious diseases are simply a plane flight away. Yeah, yeah very true. Thank you both so much for your brains and your knowledge and for coming on the show. It's uh, yeah, Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. And before we go, uh, I'd like to ask you guys if you have anything you'd like to uh, plug, like where people can find you. Good, you've mentioned a couple of good resources, but other information resources, uh, that kind of thing that you you'd like to share. So, in terms of the resources, I I, I am following a couple members of the PMRS. Um, they have a Twitter feed, but it's not very active. But the WHO gets a lot of the same information, and they do a good job of updating. In terms of where you could learn more, I just did an episode uh, on the healthcare crisis in Gaza on my podcast, The House of Pod, which James has been on. Um, and Shereen, I'm trying to get you to come on. So I'm, gonna, I'm down. Okay, I'm okay, we're going to keep working on you. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and Saskia, too. I mean, you're all invited. Yeah. I, I'm recording this. I'm just going <laughs> to release it on my podcast as well. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so listen to us there. I'll be doing more episodes on this, uh, topic as well in the, in the coming months. Cool. Perfect. Saskia, how about you? I'm mirroring all of those resources. I really, um, been looking to, of course, I'm a public health nerd. So WHO, UNICEF, Human Rights Watch are my big go-tos as, you know, again, as all the sources we've already mentioned. Um, and I, I really, um, I want to give a, a shout out to a colleague of mine, Jessica, Alti Rivera, who is really, really wonderful in this space and has been doing a lot of science communication on her Instagram. I tend to be a little bit more on the cesspool that is formerly Twitter. But, you know, I'm, I, I think there's some really wonderful people out there, this entire group included, that are actively working to share information, but also how people can get engaged and involved. So shout out to her and just all the hard work that a lot of key journalists are doing in this space because... Again, if you have no communication out, it's really hard to get accurate information. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, why are you laughing, James? Uh, can I wrap us out? Or is this too monotone? Of an <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You, you are crushing it, Shereen. <laughs> Send it. No, that's the show. Again, Thanks again for both of you being so outspoken. I think especially reminding everyone that it's actually not complicated because it's... It's also like a medical issue. It's not It's not exactly... When you just look at the numbers, look at body count, look at families, that's, I think, what our main focus should be. And I appreciate you both because I know it's uh, tricky out there to be outspoken. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much.
Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the show about the slow end of the world and all the small little things that are kind of pushing us that way. Isn't that exciting? New year, new me. Not not really. I'm kind of doing the same same stuff. Mostly staring into the abyss and seeing what stares back. Uh, staring at the abyss with me today is Mia Wong. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Oh boy, the abyss is looking is looking real choppy today. Real really. abyssal, you could say. The waves coming out of it are, are staring back at you real hard. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk today about anti-Semitism. So uh, I guess content warning in case you don't want to hear a whole bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. I'm I'm not just going to be repeating anti-Semitic things. It's just this is just the topic for the whole episode. So yeah, the past few months, there has been a pretty dramatic rise in anti-Semitism, ranging from physical attacks, vandalism, and lots of rhetoric. Now, there's a few factors that I think make this a little bit tricky to talk about, which is why it's taken me a while to put this together. Firstly, I, I want to avoid getting into, like, oppression Olympics here, right? Talking about one bad thing does not negate many other bad things that are happening concurrently. D uh, having a discussion about a very troubling rise in anti-Semitism um, and a state-backed ethnic cleansing 
do not need to be mutually exclusive topics of discussion, right? We can say both of these things are are actually pretty bad. And today we're going to be talking specifically about anti-Semitism. And I think, you know, this show has had a history of reporting on anti-fascist movements and attempts to stop fascist entryism and promoting of anti-Semitism. So this topic is well within our regular wheelhouse, and there is a decent bit to talk about. Now, the second thing that makes this topic a little bit tricky is that some of the big extremism research groups that typically do the most accessible cataloging of anti-Semitic incidents have proven themselves to be slightly unreliable on this topic for the past four months. And that's not just my opinion. That's also the opinion of current and former ADL employees who have been coming out against director Jonathan Greenblatt's leadership choices, particularly since the October 7th Hamas attack. Now, due to the nature of their job versus my job, ADL analysts have a lot more dedicated time and resources to cataloging alleged anti-Semitic incidents. But under Greenblatt's direction, the whole of their data from the past four months is heavily skewed to include anything expressing anti-Zionism as being included in their uh, data about anti-Semitism. And even anything deemed too sympathetic to Palestinians as being a driver of anti-Semitism. So that's the kind of situation we have here with, you know, there's many issues the ADL has had in the past which we may talk about in the future, but typically they've done an okay job the past few years, specifically cataloging anti-Semitism during the rise of the alt-right. Their data is often relatively reliable on this topic. Some of their other data and other practices are very open to criticism, but this is kind of one other factor that's going to make this a little bit tricky. Now, as like an example, right? This is, this, this is, we can, we can talk about these things in abstract, I'm going to talk about something from Atlanta because this is something I have some experience in. So on the ADL's big map of anti-Semitic incidents from October 7th to the present, if you zoom into Atlanta, there's two incidents that are right next to each other. One is a banner drop done by the Goyim Defense League, which is a group of neo-Nazis. Oh, God. Basically, they they made some banners (sighs) expressing pro-Hitler statements alongside slogans like Free Palestine, and they put them up above a really big road in Atlanta, right? So this is pretty standard neo-Nazi anti-Semitism using kind of anti-Zionism as this sort of mask, but I mean... I yeah, mean, you're if doing you're Hitler cool. stuff, like masks, <laughs> very thin. Um. Yes, exactly. It's not really, it's not really masked because you also have a Hitler banner. But like, you know, if if someone only sees one banner, be like, oh, it's a Palestine banner. But no, it's actually a Nazi banner. So we have this incident logged. We also have another incident logged right beside it from a protest a few days later, which was an interfaith uh, rally in support of Palestine against the ongoing ethnic cleansing that's happening in Gaza with thousands and thousands of people being killed. So we have this banner drop and we have this rally, and both of these things are labeled as an anti-Semitic incident. They're, they're both like equal in the eyes of this data, which just isn't true. I was, I, I, I was at this rally. I did not hear anything anti-Semitic coming from the speakers. Many of the speakers, if not the majority of the speakers, were Jewish. There were a group of Jewish counter-protesters who showed up, who started many fights, fights which were very quickly de-escalated by the people who were putting on the rally. 
there was this one woman who was carrying an, an Israeli flag on this flagpole who kept hitting people with it. So th- there was a lot of there was a lot of things going on at this rally, but this was not an anti-Semitic rally. And in fact, the the Jewish counter protesters were extremely vitriolic. They were expressing explicit desire for genocide of Palestinians, like it, very very gross stuff. It, it was it was really disgusting. So both of these incidents, though, are seen as equal, which just pr- show that's just, that's just an easy example to kind of show how this data isn't really reliable that the ADL is putting together here. Um, now, I really don't feel like it's my place to go through the ADL's uh, database and decide what is and is not anti-Semitism, right? Like that's, I don't have the time, nor the money, nor really the authority to be like the arbiter of what is and isn't anti-Semitic. Yeah, Gar- Garrison, Garrison turning into the anti-Semitism commissar. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not me, right? I, I have a background in anti-fascist research, I have a background in neo-Nazi-driven anti-Semitism. Right? These are the things I usually specialize in. But still, this is a this is a massive this is a massive field. Anti-Semitism is a complicated topic. Rhetoric can be complicated, and having not attended or reviewed every single rally or incident in question, I'm simply not equipped to make informed judgments. So, for that reason, this episode I will focus mostly on physical attacks, threats, and vandalism, as opposed to the much more murky waters of rhetoric, online rhetoric, and, you know, just these, these, there's been probably thousands of rallies across the United States. I've not been to every one. I've not watched every single speech. I've not heard every single offhand comment. So I'm not going to deal with those. Instead, I'm going to be focusing on physical, like, in, like, IRL and things that have a very a very clear uh, result of of the action. So this mostly attacks, threats, vandalism. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. The, I guess actually the one other thing about stats uh, is that when talking about this rise in anti-Semitism, because there, there's been a lot of articles from mainstream news outlets being like, "Here's the rise in anti-Semitism," and here's the stats. Another thing pointing towards why these stats are unreliable, and the reason why I'm not going to be using them largely is because many of the stats included in these articles are crime stats. And these crime stats are also proving to be heavily unreliable. For example, the Metropolitan Police claimed that there was a 1,350% increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes in London during the first two and a half weeks of October, with 218 anti-Semitic offenses in London during that time period compared to only 15 in 2022. But included in these stats are... Incidents like the police in London arresting a man for tearing down some of those hostage posters. That's one of the hate crimes that they include in this. Um, And uh, also, the Met said that, that's the Metropolitan Police, said that chanting from the river to the sea near Jewish people or near Jewish buildings during a protest would be deemed unlawful. And I think there is a a debate to be had whether, if if you're just protesting outside of a random Jewish building, that's probably not great, and it that could be an indicator of anti-Semitism, but having that chant be deemed unlawful for just being near other Jewish people, like I said, at the rally in Atlanta, there was a whole bunch of Jewish counter-protesters who came to start fights. So, like, you're going to be around Jewish people if you're a march, you're marching around, or if you're outside an Israeli embassy, that's, a, that's an, in my opinion, a very valid target for protest. That would be considered a Jewish building. So, all of these stats are heavily heavily skewed by these by by these sorts of reasons for how how uh, how the Met is including things as being anti-Semitic hate crimes. 
Yeah, and I mean, like this, the, like if you just think about what the rationale is there for a second, like is is a group of anti-Zionist Jews chanting from the river to the sea around themselves a hate crime? Exactly, right? right? Like There's, this is nonsense. Like, yes. So, <laughs> and also, you know, and I mean, I, and also, like this is the British police. Like those yes. are the most anti-Semitic motherfuckers this side of like. The Ukrainian neo-Nazis or something. And like, like I, I do not doubt there was an actual increase of anti-Semitic attacks, vandalism, oh, yeah. and hate speech. That 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 is what we're talking about in this episode. We will be getting into many incidents. But it is difficult to pin down s- some of what these really big stats actually represent. Because if tearing down one of those silly Hamas wanted posters is being labeled a hate crime on the same level as drawing a swastika on a synagogue that data is basically useless. And now I think it's also worth mentioning just very, very briefly, uh, the Metropolitan Police also recorded a 140% increase in Islamophobic incidents during those first two and a half weeks of October. That's that's 42 incidents in 2022 compared to 103 incidents in 2023. And while that percentage is lower than the anti-Semitic stat, it also indicates how much more common Islamophobia in London is because the regular amount of reported incidents from last year is so much higher than the regular reported amount of anti-Semitic incidents. Like having having forty two incidents per like two and a half weeks be the normal stat is uh not great. And yeah, maybe maybe someone should look into why British people are so uh, Islamophobic. Um, I mean that, that that there's that that's a whole episode in and of itself. <laughs> Islamophobia in the UK is a massive massive problem. But just as a comparison, I thought I might as well say that. We will we will get to uh, Hanukkah next, but it has already been 13 minutes of me talking about stats and giving disclaimers. So that means it's time for an ad break. I'm not going to do a silly ad transition. Just listen to the ads. All right, we are we are back. Since we just finally escaped the holiday season, uh, let's begin by talking about Hanukkah. Public menorahs, uh, often without any extra like iconography tying them to the state of Israel, were a frequent target of vandalism and anti-Semitic messaging during the month of December. A far-right member of parliament in Poland used a fire extinguisher to blow out the candles on a menorah in the lobby of parliament. A public menorah in London had its light bulbs smashed with a free Palestine sticker placed onto the front, and then days later it was found toppled over and left in pieces. There's many of these incidents. Uh, I'm just going to name a few more just because at a certain point it kind of becomes redundant, but I think these things are worth talking about. Um, An 11-foot, 350-pound menorah next to Lake Merritt in Oakland was cut up and destroyed in in mid-December with pieces being thrown into the nearby lake. A message was graffitied that led, we're gonna find you, you're on alert. Uh, it was also reported <sighs> that there was a graffiti left nearby that read Free Palestine in Arabic, but I can't confirm that. The The picture they have online does not match what Free Palestine in Arabic looks like, but I'm not an expert on Arabic, so I just can't confirm that, but that is being reported in local Jewish newspapers. A menorah sand sculpture commissioned in Palm Beach was destroyed and left defaced with a swastika. Outside a synagogue in a suburb of Washington, D.C., a menorah was toppled over on the eve of Hanukkah, and two menorahs were vandalized and damaged in Brooklyn in early December by masked individuals. So, 
One other similar incident I will talk about, which is kind of interesting, is that there was this pro-Palestine protest at Yale where a one of the protesters climbed up onto this massive, I don't know how tall it was, but it was it was it was huge. They had to climb up pretty high on this big public menorah and placed a Palestinian flag kind of around one of the little arms on the menorah. But very quickly, like within seconds of this happening, other pro-Palestine protesters note noticing this is kind of disrespectful uh asked this person to take it down like uh, like, like almost almost immediately this is a very a very quick exchange and this kind of sparked some people talking about you know is it okay to put palestinian flags on menorahs is it okay to vandalize menorahs which <laughs> the answer is no the answer is you shouldn't vandalize a menorah that's generally not great, but you know, people were were saying uh, and s- specifically pointing towards like pictures of IDF soldiers who have been taking territory in Gaza, who have been putting up menorahs in Gaza, or like the Israeli military doing these photo ops with big menorahs in different parts of Gaza, being like, "Hey, when there's this active ethnic cleansing going on, and soldiers are using this religious I- iconography, and it's being associated directly with this." With this ongoing ethnic genocide, how can you blame people who are going to be treating this symbol with hostility? And I think there's a few problems with this idea. I'm going to quote from this Jewish artist who goes by underscore a nunnery, who I think phrased this really well. Quote, Jewish symbols shouldn't be associated with Zionism or ceded to them just because Zionists abuse them. If the menorah were put up by Zionists as some explicitly Zionist display, then putting up a Palestinian flag would be an act of resistance. If it's not, then it's just cementing the Zionist conflation and exploitation of Jewish identity. There are more non-Jewish Zionists than there are Jews." Unquote. And this gets at a point which I think is really important when you're talking about uh, anti-Zionist activism. Attacking symbols of Jewish culture in the name of anti-Zionism only strengthens the cause of Zionism by affirming the conflation of Judaism and Zionism, or Judaism and the state of Israel. This conflation helps Zionists shield their actions by abusing the Jewish identity and making these two things be more like intersectional. So I think that is, one, a strategic reason for why this is a bad idea, and two, it's maybe slightly anti-Semitic. So that is my little holiday section, just because I saw a whole bunch of stuff around these menorahs, and I didn't feel good about it. Yeah, like, this sucks. Like, please don't do this. And I've seen some people, like, like... also using the comparison of, like, would would you also criticize... Um, indigenous people in America for for graffitiing or taking down images of like Christian iconography and like no because the oppression faced by Christians and the oppression faced by Jewish people are two different things like these are these are actually historically these are very different things so no these things actually cannot be compared in my opinion but now I'm going to talk about some international incidents because I think we have a tendency to overfocus on America when there's a whole bunch of other stuff happening in, you know, the rest of the world. Back in October, a historic synagogue in Tunisia was burned down by a mob of hundreds of people in response to reports that an Israeli airstrike hit a hospital in Gaza. This sucks. <laughs> I shouldn't have to explain why burning down a historical uh, synagogue is anti-Semitic because you don't like something the state of Israel did. That's just, that, that just isn't, that, that just isn't like, 
that's just Nazi shit. Like, come on. Yeah. So a month later in November, someone posted a video online of themselves pouring fuel and setting fire to the only synagogue in Armenia. The entrance was damaged in the arson attack, but no one was hurt. The only synagogue in Wrocław, Poland, sorry, I probably butchered that, but it is a hard word, uh, but the only synagogue in this town in Poland to survive the Holocaust was defaced with graffiti that read, quote, Israel criminals and murderers, unquote. And then uh, like a week, uh, I guess earlier that week, a, gr- a group of teenagers also destroyed a menorah in this same town. In mid-October, uh, Molotov cocktails were thrown at a synagogue in Berlin. Uh, after Hanukkah in Belgium, a Jewish cemetery was vandalized with swastikas on gravestones. In late, no- in, in late November, a Molotov cocktail was thrown at a Jewish community center in Montreal. Earlier that month, shots were fired at two different Jewish schools in Montreal in three different incidents. And four Holocaust memorials in Germany were vandalized with a mix of anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist messages. So, so again, like when I was looking at these ones, ones in Germany, the actual content of about half of these messages were not anti-Semitic, but the act of doing this at a at a at a Holocaust memorial just yeah. is like it 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 gives me the ick. And there's arguments could be made that it, this does actually play into anti-Semitic tropes. Like you're what you're blaming dead Jewish people for the actions of the current state of Israel. Like that's it's it just. And also half half of these messages left at these at at these Holocaust memorial sites were also just blatantly anti-Semitic, like very very clearly, like Nazi style stuff. I, I do not have time to go over all of the incidents across Europe. There is a great deal many. There's many, many, many that I've not mentioned. These are just a few. Like I said, I'm focusing on like vandalism, very, very clear-cut stuff, people doing arson attacks, right? It's just very, very basic stuff. The stuff in Montreal. Not great. Montreal, Canada, get your shit together. <laughs> Although, unfortunately, not surprising, but still upsetting, uh, is Jews being barred from shops across Turkey. And uh, there's a whole a whole bunch of very gross yeah. government, government-sponsored anti-Semitism across Turkey, uh, campaigns to prohibit the sale of land to Jewish people. A lot of a lot of bad stuff in Turkey, but that's not incredibly surprising. Yeah, I mean it's Erdogan. Like yeah. he fucking yeah. sucks ass, and he, yes. oh yeah, er- er- Erdogan is a man who has personally ordered children to be burned alive with firebombs. So, you know, this is not out of character for him. Yeah, and I guess uh, finally, uh, this this one one other thing about Hanukkah is that uh, so last month, right after the end of Hanukkah, bomb threats were sent out on mass to more than four hundred Jewish Jewish centers and synagogues across the United States. This was most likely orchestrated by the same kind of small number of individuals. All of the messages were very similar. None of these were incredibly credible, but it still sparked a whole bunch of bomb sweeps and concern because when Jewish synagogues get bomb threats, that's not an empty threat either. Like this is like there is historical precedent. Yeah, well, and and I also like I think I think the other thing that's important about this too is like this this is, you know, this is like one of the, the things is the culmination of everything the right's been doing for the last like eight years has been the development of like this cadre of people who do bomb threats. Calling in bomb threats as a tactic. Yeah. Yes. No, there's the concerted effort for bomb threats at hospitals that provide transgender care, abortion clinics, 
Um, there was a, a string of weirdly organized bomb threats against schools about a year or two ago yeah. that I think I think Robert did an episode on. Yeah, now and now we're here at you know we're at bomb threats against synagogues, which is terrifying. According to the Secure Community Network, a nonprofit security organization that tracks threats made against Jewish communities, bomb threats and swatting incidents, basically try, fra- trying to get a SWAT team to show up somewhere because you lied about there being like a, an, an ongoing crime or something. But bomb threats and swatting incidents targeted against Jewish centers saw over a 500% increase in 2023 compared to the previous year, which I have no reason to believe is incorrect. So on that note, I no, I don't really think we can have a bomb threat segue to to ads. I, I really don't really don't know. Don't do bomb threats. <laughs> Don't do bomb threats, typically. (laughs) This is what I got right now. Typically. Anyway, uh, do you know what else is the bomb these ads? Okay, fine. All right, we are back. Maybe the worst ad transition we've ever done. That's not true. That is definitely not true. Yeah, okay, okay, you're right. Um, okay so during this last section i'm gonna talk a little bit more about data aggregation so like i said previously in this episode uh due to the nature of what my job is and the nature of what an adl analyst's job is they just have a lot more time to dedicate towards specifically logging anti-semitic incidents so i did look through their data set and i've made some extrapolations based on some of the findings and some of the open source data that they have regarding specific incidents. So on that note, the ADL has logged around 1,100 anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th, not related to protest rallies. So this is specifically all the incidents that are not related to these big pro-Palestinian interfaith, many Jewish-led rallies. Now, I'm not saying that nothing anti-Semitic has not happened at any of those rallies. But these rallies were logged simply as, quote, anti-Israel rallies, which featured overt anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, and or expressions of support for terror. So, (laughs) crammed in the middle of that explanation is just anti-Zionism. So, that is one thing they are just counting as being enough to be logged as an anti-Semitic incident. So, again, I'm, I'm not going through the over like like 1,000 rallies that they have logged here just because I don't have the time and I don't feel like it. But but yes, just for just for full transparency, that is the information I'm not going to be looking at. Instead, I'm looking at these 1,100 other incidents not related to these protests. So these 1,100 harassment and vandalism incidents include things from anti-Zionist slash anti-Israel stickers and graffiti being left at universities and synagogues, the latter, which I believe is in poor taste, but also, you know, swastikas being painted on synagogues, extremely anti-Semitic messages being left at Jewish centers, and street harassment targeting visibly Jewish people, as well as just overt neo-Nazi activity under the banner of Free Palestine. Now, of these over 1,100 incidents, I'd say that a very small minority of them are principled anti-Zionist activism, which has been mislabeled. Most of the data in these 1,000 incidents is 
just blatant anti-Semitism. Ayer specifically directed towards just regular Jewish people, people writing kill Jews in bathroom stalls, threats being sent to Jewish people, mentioning Hitler or Hamas, a, a lot of just extremely gross stuff. Like there's there's too many there's too many just like threats that mention the word Jews that I I, I just can't even read them all, nor do I want to, because it's just gross. Like there's there is yeah. a, a truly yeah upsetting number which is why i wanted to make this episode in the first place is because i've been seeing this pretty big rise in anti-semitism other people have as well and i felt like this wasn't probably being as talked about as much as it should be among the anti-fascist left because you know everyone's focusing on this ethnic cleansing that's happening because that is very bad but meanwhile there's this other massive problem that if you care about fascist entryism if you care about uh anti-semitic uh behavior and actions being a either allowed to happen in leftist spaces or just happening in general. Like a, a lot of this stuff is being done by fascists who are not, who are not, you know, going to a pro-Palestine rally because they believe in anti-imperialism. But there's just a lot of this stuff happening, which is why I think it is needing to, needing to be talked about. Now, there are a number of instances uh, that are logged in these 1,100 uh, incidents here, such as, you know, for uh, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull from actual examples, but also this is kind of generalizing because this was also reflecting a small trend. Things like pro-Palestine phrases being yelled at random Jewish people on the street, having 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 like anti-Zionist stickers being poorly placed in different locations, like at a Jewish cemetery, uh, vandalizing non-political Jewish-owned businesses with anti-Zionist phrases, even like breaking the windows of random Jewish-owned businesses with no ties to Israel or, or the IDF and leaving anti-Zionist phrases or pro-Palestine phrases graffitied next to these broken windows. Now, while the content of what's being actually said in these incidents may not be, like, anti-Semitic in nature by itself, right? Like, just just having very basic anti-Zionist phrases being graffitied, that may not be anti-Semitic itself, like, that, that combination of words. This, this sort of activity, though plays into a classic anti-Semitic kind of trope, as if every like random Jewish person is somehow in part responsible for the actions of Israel, and it also conflates Jewish identity with Zionism, which is the problem that we were talking about before when we started this episode, right? Uh, or when I was talking about this stuff with Hanukkah. Just a few hours ago, as of time of recording, uh, uh, the Corvallis anti-fascist branch i guess uh yeah yeah I, I think i think they're a member of torch put out this thread about how the gdl the Goim defense league we talked about them previously in this episode they're a big group of organized neo-nazis that spread a lot of anti-semitic stuff how they hijacked a uh a city council meeting to spread anti-semitic stuff during a discussion of a uh a, during a discussion about a a ceasefire resolution and I think they they kind of ended their thread by talking about how it is extremely important to call out the conflation of the Jewish people with the, with the genocidal actions of the state of Israel and assertions that the media is controlled by Jews or that regular Jews are, ha have some kind of say in everything that's happening. Right? It, it, it gets at this kind of like cabal-ish notion. Now, back to kind of the data that I was talking about, these sorts of incidents are vastly, vastly outweighed by the number of just of overt Jew hatred, invoking of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, calling for the death of Jews and swastikas. 
But I still think it's extremely important to mention because the targeting of random Jewish people and businesses itself, that is a form of anti-Semitism. Uh, and this activity helps to reinforce the abuse of the Jewish identity by inextricably linking it to Zionism, which only strengthens the Zionist ideology. So that's, that's, that, that's my little mini rant about the way we've been seeing some of these things play out. Now, many of these over a thousand incidents logged use anti-Zionism as a sort of cover for just spreading anti-Semitism, uh, particularly from known white supremacist and neo-Nazi groups. The GDL is a good example. There's also groups like White Lives Matter and a number of others that I could name that when you're looking through the ADL's data on these 1,000 or so incidents, a large, large amount of them are done by the Goyim Defense League, the GDL. And this is, this, this is, this is a strategic thing for them, right? They're seeing the kind of moment that people are in culturally, the way people are talking about Israel. And if they can find a way to squeeze in their neo-Nazi talking points kind of under this, under this very, very thin uh, Palestine kind of uh, veneer, that's great for them. If they can get people to start almost mindlessly re repeating their style of talking points, that's great for them, right? This, it, it makes sense why they're putting so much time and dedication to this, because they're trying to use this moment and ab abuse the thousands of people who might be more susceptible to this right now to spread their ideology and to, to, and to do, and to do an entryism. Like, this is a part of what their tactic is. So while it's true that many of these incidents do come from explicitly Nazi groups, there's also a just a really upsettingly and shockingly large number of them that come from students. Students from middle school to college who are ostensibly anti-Israel, but are going about it via targeting random Jewish people and spreading anti-Semitism, whether that's intended or not. But a lot of the talking points are just anti-Semitic talking points. Now, I, I can't, I'm not in the heads of anybody. I'm not talking to the 12-year-old in some middle school in Colorado who's leaving anti-Semitic messages in a bathroom stall, but the effect is kind of the same. And just the, the sheer number of specifically like, like, like middle school, junior high, high school incidents that are logged among this thousand was just incredibly, dis uh, incredibly distressing. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think a lot of what's going on here is that, like, the U.S. is a culturally Christian society, right? Like, it, it has, like, of of the developed countries, the U.S. is like one of the most Christian, and American Christianity, and this is true of like in different ways of like just basically all of the major Christian denominations are enormously anti-Semitic. Like, and they're anti-Semitic in very in different, in different and weird ways. Like, I mean, I, I spent some time recently for something else, like reading about like this argument between like the evangelicals who are like, we need to, we need to have uh, all the Jews go back to Israel so that we can uh, bring about the second coming. And they were yeah. in a fight with the, the hardline, like right wing Lutherans and the hard, hardline right wing Lutherans are like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, no, like the, the, the Holy land belongs to us, not the Jews. What the fuck are you guys doing? Right. It's so, like, oh, th God. this is the baseline of American society, right? Yeah. It's unbelievably yeah. anti-Semitic in ways that, you know, are, are just sort of passed down through like, like culture are, are culturally received and absorbed in ways that people don't like see 
or understand or think yeah. about because it's just it's it's the wa- it's the water that America that you know you swim in, in in American culture in this sort of like like this hegemonic Christian society and that means that like even people with like at least in their heads good intentions get caught up in this shit and it it's fucking yeah, and, bad and th- there's also at the same time a very concerted effort to slide in the anti-Jewish extremism, anti-Semitic yeah. rhetoric, to, to 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 slide that in, sometimes covertly, sometimes not, uh, yeah. into into lots of mainstream discourse and exchanges and social media. Specifically, TikTok has been really has been really bad at this, which is where a lot of young people spend probably the majority of their day if they're going to yeah. be looking at their phone. And it's it's I I, I like I, I said I didn't want to get into like social media rhetoric, but also just like as someone who spent a lot of time on 4chan and 8chan looking specifically at nazis the the way twitter currently works is like it it is just 4chan 8chan level stuff pretty commonly like if if yeah. if i look at the quote tweets of any of, of oh, almost any tweet made by a jewish person there is there is just some of the most atrocious unmoderated anti-semitism that i've seen on a platform like like twitter like this is this is really like 8chan level stuff I think, uh, and this 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 isn't intentional to slide this stuff in to make it look normalized. The ADL uh, reported a nearly one thousand percent increase in the daily average of violent messages mentioning Jews and Israel in white supremacist and right wing extremist channels on Telegram in the days following the October seventh massacre. So this this is something that is specifically being done in far right spaces. I'm going to quote again from uh, this uh, uh, Corvallis Against Fascism. Um, the struggle for the liberation of Palestine is one of the most pressing of our time. It's imperative that we shut down anti-Semitic attempts to co-opt that struggle immediately. Uh, which, if, if you care about the liberation of uh, Palestine and uh, Palestinian people, this is something you also need, need to be concerned about. Because these two things are linked. There was there's, uh, 27 assaults have been reported Around eight of these assaults are stemming from fights which broke out at protest rallies. I, I'm not going to get into those ones as much because that can be tricky because I've seen Zionists yeah. start fights like right next to me before and then claim a victimhood. Like, n- no, you were the one that started that. You swung a flagpole at these people and then they de-escalated very quickly. And I'm sure there's incidents of the reverse happening. But uh, a majority of these assaults that have been reported are very clear-cut anti-Semitic attacks targeted against Jewish people, some of which are quite frightening to read about. There's been a, a, a large number of vehicle attacks. There was this one, one incident of someone breaking into a Jewish family's home and ass- assaulting people inside their own home. Uh, then also, also, there's been a number of incidents of just assaulting people as they leave synagogues. I've seen very Zionists very often. start fights with people so, right next to that me is, before. That is kind of what I had to say about uh, this rise in, uh, of, in anti-Semitism, because I, I saw this being a major problem that was being not talked about as much as it should be, because this is it is higher than what we've seen in years. Not to even mention uh, the rise in uh, Islamophobia, which is also a massive rise in, is in Islamophobia has been happening the past four months, including resulting in murders, right? Um, just just in the four weeks after October 7th, the Council on American-Islamic Relations logged an unprecedented number of Islamophobic incidents. Uh, the research and advocacy director, Corey Saylor, said in a statement, quote, both Islamophobia and anti-Arab racism are out of control in ways we have not seen in almost 10 years. 
The 1,283 complaints we have received over the past month represent a 216% increase in requests for help and reports of bias. The Islamophobic and anti-Palestinian rhetoric that have been used to justify both violence against Palestinians in Gaza and silent supporters of Palestinian human rights here in America have contributed to this unprecedented surge in bigotry. It's just been bad the past four months. Yeah. It's just, things have been bad. There's been murders, there's been assaults. It's, 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 it's horrible. And I think both of these things are things that need to be, need to be uh, interrogated more. The Islamophobic incidents as well as anti-Semitic incidents. So that's what I wanted to, to talk about um, as I have been slowly, slowly logging more synagogue attacks, more death threats, all of these sorts of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of all I have to say uh, today. Yeah, it's it's real bad. I don't know. I mean, it's bad is... out there. I, I I mean, if you care about the struggle of the liberation of Palestine and the people in Palestine, you need to if if you see if you see anything that plays in to these sorts of anti-Semitic tropes that we've talked about. Uh, blaming just random Jewish people for what's going on, um, uh, attacking random Jewish-owned businesses without any ties to the IDF, without any ties to the state of Israel. Just all of this stuff, it needs to be called out because this actually, this sort of thing only strengthens the ideology of of Zionism. So if if you call yourself an anti-Zionist, it is your uh, imperative duty to be on the watch for this sort of thing and stop it if you see it. That's that's kind of the uh, the, the uh, thesis at the end of this. All right. Well, um, without further ado, I think we will uh, end this episode. Stay safe out there, everybody. Hopefully, this new year won't be complete chaos for all of us. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. 
Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.